The views and opinions expressed on Red Planet are those of the individual and do not necessarily reflect those of Red Planet nor any affiliated or related entities. This podcast is provided for educational purposes only. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to Red Planet. This week, Mule leads us on a journey through the relationship between the landlord and tenant classes, the forms of violence landlords enact in service of profit, and the revolutionary potential of renters. Plus, more updates on the genocide in Gaza, Russian court brands the LGBT movement as extremist, and we remember the life of Henry Kissinger. But first, have we been unfair to Margaret? And then, you know, he's just saying things like, oh, actually, well, uh, you, uh, even though Margaret Thatcher was that kind of uh, person, you still have to hand it to her, and I think she was very good. Uh, you know, meanwhile, everyone in Britain is currently having to go to food banks, go to warm hubs, uh, and the, the, the leader of the opposition is simply praising the person that made all that happen whilst offering no real alternative to any of those material conditions that people in Britain are suffering from. Yeah, isn't it wild that Margaret Thatcher has like gone down in history universally and like so much media, like films, TV, comic books, like all these like, and some like really great works of art as just being this like tyrant and then it's like there's this small portion of like you know people that are obviously extremely wealthy and extremely like you know like part of the kind of like literally the ruling elite whatever that are still just like pretending like she's great and it, i mean it's like i guess for them she was you know it's like yeah didn't fuck up their lives um i mean it would be it would be even worse actually if what Keir Starmer says about his childhood is true and he grew up on a council estate um, and he somehow found up found himself growing up to love Margaret Thatcher. I think every single person who grew up on that council estate with him would probably tar and feather him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the same down here. I mean, it's like we've had um, similar things. Like we had um, a budget, like one historic budget that like we are still dealing with, you know, decades and decades of inequality from it it was called um the euthanasia kind of year so there was like a couple of things like euthanasia and regionomics stuff like that and so we've had some of our biggest like conservative politicians have talked about growing up under those policies growing up in state homes and stuff and then like as soon as they get in power they're just like okay cool and we need less state homes we need less funding we need like you know all this kind of shit it's like it's yeah deranged like how what happened to you you know yeah um yeah. anyway welcome to red planet on that note hey <laughs> How's everyone go doing? it's happening mm-hmm. it's happening it's all happening all everything is happening all <laughs> at once at the moment <laughs> um tim yeah, let's 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 start it off. Let's 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 let's. I think let's, today is going to be a really good day. I can already tell. Oh, it's going to be great. Uh, <laughs> listen, Tim, what's the most base thing you did this week? Um, most base thing I did this week is I I think it's I did a um a poster for a Gaza fundraiser that's coming up. It's like a film night. It's actually um it's it's in a, a town um 
a small town in New Zealand. So it's not like a, a huge thing or whatever, but it's like some friends of mine that run an independent press and they're just trying to, you know, do what they can in their communities to raise money and awareness for um, what's happening in Gaza. So um, they're putting together a little, like a film night playing like independent movies by Palestinian filmmakers and stuff. And so, um, yeah, I put together a little poster for that event. Um, Yeah. It's like a, just like an entry by donation kind of thing. But um, we are also talking about maybe doing like, selling like um tote bags or maybe even just like a nicer print version of the poster or something like mm-hmm. that to raise some additional money um yeah i don't know if i can show it yet but it's just a real simple kind of films for gaza thing with um like an olive branch and stuff like that i'll probably um nice link to it on twitter when uh, when it gets posted so make sure to stay until the very end so that you can hear tim Talk about where you can find him on the Twitter. We're <laughs> yeah. not going to tell you heads. until then. All you the Tim heads are definitely sticking around. I know that for sure. Yeah. What about um? What about what about you, Kara? What are you What have you been up to this week? Ooh, I've been up to a lot. Um, going to protests now every weekend at least. Um, for Palestine, so I'm very happy to get out there and be able to scream amongst other people that are also screaming. If, and doing something. Um, I've been continuing a lot of my reporting, if you want to use that word. It feels weird to use that because I'm just a bimbo on the internet, but reporting for um, what is from the Palestinian side of what's going on. Um, not just the Palestinian side, but like the Arab side, the not even just the Arab side. Like, like we're seeing a lot more unification um, and solidarity, not enough solidarity by not by any means, but still solidarity nonetheless. Um uh, from uh, other entities other than just Palestine uh, for Palestinian people. And so I've been trying my best to 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 get tap into those primary sources as soon as they as soon as they communicate what they communicate and be able to disseminate that information. So that's been, you know, also trying to debunk the Zionist lies that are just coming, uh, just constantly rapid firing, which is exhausting and and very frustrating because it sucks up way too much time. And I think that's kind of part of the point. But unfortunately, you have to you have to try to debunk those. And also, um, I don't know, just generally just it, I'm really happy to see how my Discord server is like growing because there's a lot of like cool anti-Zionists that I've met on Blue Sky, the alternative to Twitter. Um that are now like joining up in my blue sky or in my discord server. And like, we're having a lot of really, really productive conversations. Like uh, there's like anti-Zionist Jews, there's, there's Palestinians, there's, there's, there's so many different voices that are, it's really, it's really, really cool to have these, like these, these conversations that are coming from multiple perspectives, but also sharing the same ideology. Um, And so it's been really, really great. So I'm, I'm, I've been, really enjoying that and if you want to join my discord server you want to be part of that conversation please feel free to anyways now what about you mule it's me what uh, about you my little peanut it's me kira we're friends you know this we uh, are friends it's true try and be friends with all of the, the my co-hosts on red planet um tim and sophie as well um but you know me and Kira, we have a friendship and it's important to mention. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what I've been doing this <laughs> this week 
Uh, I've been, I've, if you were, if you caught the show last week, I was telling you about, uh, our AGM at the, uh, Tenants Union. We had lots and lots, uh, of people who showed interest in doing activism for the housing struggle, which was really, really cool. Uh, I trained a, trained a bunch of them last week, uh, uh, and, and came into like the, the second stage of training this week with, uh, a lot of them, not all of them, two of them had to sort of like bow out, um, just because of like, you know, holiday stuff or, uh family kind of things which is absolutely understandable this time of year um so you know and, and it would be understandable anyway one of the first things that you you know that i taught them was to be real about their own capacity and stuff so that was good that they paid attention to that um and on top of that yeah no well the, the second stage of, of learning is basically where like i bring the new mso's member solidarity officers i bring them into uh this uh, not a discord call a zoom call uh god could you imagine if we use discord in actual real life organizing everyone would be like what is that bro um but yeah we just uh we basically have a zoom meeting with a member like uh you know uh, it can be not a member it depends on the severity like if we get I was talking about prioritizing last week, and that's the thing that we talk about. So it might be like someone who's got an eviction coming up. If they're not a member, we'll, of course, help them. Um, if someone has, like, extremely bad mold and damp to the point where it's, like, damaging their health, of course, we help them. Um, and so basically, yeah, we have a, we have a little Zoom call where we uh, agitate the, you know, the, the member or non-member. We basically say, wow, that's really, that sounds really shit. And it sounds like that is a direct product of the uh, class position of landlords. We don't always word it like that, but you have to basically try and make people aware of their class consciousness in, in a way. Uh, I'm going to actually be talking about that in this episode, surprisingly. So I won't go too much into that. Uh, but I've also been doing with the Tenants Union, uh, something that I've spoken about literally a year ago. Uh, Red Planeteers of, of, of old will remember me talking about this, uh, where I was trying to spearhead the LGBTQIA plus statement, like the pro queer statement on the Tenants Union website. Not had enough time to deal with that. Not had enough other queer people in the union to do it with me. So I felt a bit, bit wrong doing it myself. Like, uh, you know, I think I, I've always wanted this to be like trans led. Uh, because trans people are, of course, you know, the most vulnerable of queer people at the minute. Uh, do you know what I mean? Specifically, like, if it was a trans woman of color, obviously, like, be preferable, but, uh, we don't know any as of yet in the union. So obviously, like, uh, you know, that's also something we need to work on. But the good news about it is that we finally organized a meeting. And my kind of sharing that was like going to this, uh, space, which is a queer lit cafe. Uh, where you could buy a bunch of queer books, and that's really exciting. Um, lots of really, really good books in that shop, actually. Uh, but they do queer events for free. Uh, so we just said to them, look, we're a bunch of queer tenants. We need to organize. We need to have our first meeting. Are we able to, like, come in? And they were like, yeah, that's fine. You can do that for free. Um, and then on top of that, they also do, like, little bits and bobs of food. You know, like, they'll do some nice tea for us, uh, uh, various different, um, you know, snacks and what have you. Uh, so that is very exciting. I'm very excited to get that started, basically. Um, but that's, that's all of us. And I want to talk about the very meaning of this show. The very reason that we got this show started is to get you little listeners out there, little chatters, little listeners, whatever you're doing, however you're absorbing the content to get out there and do some stuff yourself. And we've got this week a based viewer called Robin 
who helped block the entrance to a Boeing headquarters, turning away employees and deliveries. I believe that's uh, regarding some pro-Palestinian action that was going down. I bet Um, you anything it is. It has to be. And then uh, also they helped shut down a turf event at the local library. Super base. Love that shit. Let's fucking go. Uh, and then also help shout down representatives at the American Party of Labor who tried to take charge uh, and credit for protest action. They did not organize their anti-sex worker pro-banning of drugs, uh, proponents of police reform. Yeah, fantastic work. Absolutely incredible, Robin. Thanks so much for telling us. Um, wish you the best in the future and solidarity. Uh, we want to know what base things you've been doing, dear listener. You can message us on Twitter, Instagram, or TikTok, or send an email to based at redplanetshow. Dot com. That's based at redplanetshow.com. Include your name and pronouns if you're cool with that. We may shout it out in a later episode. But that's the base section done. And now we got some amazing news that Tim wants to break to everybody. What is it, Tim? What's happened this week? Um, well, probably in the most positive news from our, our little news section this week. Um <laughs> Congratulations to elder statesman Henry Kissinger on being dead and ridding the world of his omnicidal, chauvinistic, imperialist evil. Um, thanks yeah. to uh, so for um, for writing these stories. Uh, Red Planet would like to officially thank and congratulate Henry Kissinger on having died and no longer being alive anymore. Our thoughts are, of course, with the family of each and every of the countless dead at Kissinger's hands across Cambodia, Vietnam, Indonesia, Laos, Bangladesh, East Timor, Chile, India, Pakistan, Egypt, Syria, Cyprus, Argentina, Zimbabwe, Mozambique, Angola, Guinea-Bissau, Iraq, and the Western Sahara. The world is unequivocally a better place for no longer containing Kissinger, who at 100 continued to work to further American imperialism and the eternal genocide of the poor by the ruling class. Kissinger was alerted to the impacts of his policies using the word genocide at least twice on record and had countless opportunities to understand his role in history as one of its greatest monsters. He was a tumor on the spirit of basic human decency. We here at Red Planet only hope that his final thoughts on Earth were scared, ashamed, and painful. (laughs) And an extra note from the Palestinian resistance. Little red triangle here, you know. If you know what that means. Henry Kissinger, former U.S. Secretary of State and architect of the Camp David Accords, which laid the foundations for Arab Zionist normalization, has died at the age of 100 with the blood of millions on his hands. Yes, I want to contrast. I want to mm. contrast that statement from the Palestinian resistance to um, the statement by the ADL. Because I do mm. not think at this point that Israel has has not that I've seen has actually issued a formal statement on Kissinger. I'm not positive, but um, we do have the ADL, which is basically Israel, that mm. basically exalted him and talked about how he is such an incredible, the first uh, Jewish American Secretary of or or something. Mm. Uh, they're basically lauding him as like this incredible Jewish man who, who which is, is like wild just, because he's so anti-Semitic and was like such he's a extremely like, anti-Semitic. But yeah, it yeah, also yeah. as yeah. a Jewish dude, he was but like also, very, yeah. right. No, no, he absolutely is. Like he's he said that if the any people that have been persecuted for two thousand years have must have, must have been doing something wrong. Like he, yeah, yeah, he, like he he said if he wasn't born a Jew, he would be an anti-Semite. Which by the way, sorry Kissinger, but you are were ha. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's dead it's he so dead. funny he died yeah. he did die he's gone um yeah. but also we we enjoyed or at least i i witnessed a fresh wave of zionists on on social media accusing people of being anti-semites for for trashing kissinger saying it's a little sus that you're yeah. this happy about the death of a jewish man so yeah. just to just to make it extremely clear the 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 moral caliber of who we're dealing with yeah, it's wild uh, seeing in real time the kind of, um, you know, like the relitigation of history and the um, rehabilitation of these people, you know. I did see people saying things like, we should at least be like respectful of the dead and all this kind of stuff like that. And it's just like, man, like, what about having some respect for the millions of living people who, um, you know, were the victim of all of his crimes? You know, it's like there's, and even there's like the direct kind of um the direct victims you know like the people that literally died at the hands of the american farm policy that he pushed and then there's like the rest of the world that felt like the kind of ripples like the ramifications of this policy and this kind of like um you know all this thing like i think it's like if we were really to look at the scope of the true nature of his crimes or whatever like that it would be a much much bigger thing you know because it's like you can't you can't really put a number on that right yeah go and watch luna oi's video on cambodia and like just like everything in there like she doesn't she doesn't directly she does talk about like how u.s imperialism like led to it like in 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 depth to be honest but like if you just watch like the first bits of it and you see this like black and white photo of kissinger with pol pot who you know if you don't know Pol Pot if you don't know about the 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 Khmer Rouge and all that like they basically like exterminated two million uh Cambodian and, and Vietnamese people over the course of I don't know three years or something Kissinger was was integral to that happening as sort of like a buffer against communist Vietnam communist China and communist uh, USSR so and it's like the classic thing right America kind of um propping up these small forces that you know then go on to do terrible things and that's like the core of american foreign policy right like propping up groups to fight wars for them and to destabilize their enemies we love that shit he was the architect of that speaking of cambodia um and talking about the ripples of kissinger like to this day because of like the remnants of that war there's so many like intact explosive devices there that people are still getting constantly like losing limbs to this day like there's like yeah. i think there's like 40,000 amputees living right now in Cambodia because of Kissinger because of him so i'm not going to be respectful whenever people insist this, this this respect i always think if i were in the same room as somebody who's the absolute victim of this man I would never shame them for shitting right on his grave. And so I'm going to stand by them and shit with him, with them. Yeah. There was it. a guy, um, what was his name? He was a, he was another chef and he was a friend of Anthony Bourdain's and he wrote him a letter once saying, he was like, man, I was in this restaurant and it was like this really, um, you know, like it was like this really prestigious, um, thing. Like, you know, there's only limited seats or whatever like that. And he's like, I was there at the same time as Kissinger and I wanted to just like go over and like dump some wine on him and like say something. Or he's like, but I just couldn't, I couldn't do it, you know, cause of, you know, like whatever. And, um, you know, Anthony Bourdain, who obviously had like a very like, uh, flawed, I think, perception of, or understanding of imperialism and stuff, but still was very good on, you know, stuff like this. Yeah. Um, 
you know, it's just basically just, I think you just called him a pussy or something like that. He's like, dude, like, what are you, what are you doing? You know? (laughs) And it's like this wild thing where it's like, you're so, you're, you're supposed to be so civil with these people because of like the position that they have or whatever like that, where it's like, man, if you saw, if you, if you went to McDonald's and you saw some, some guy at McDonald's that had like, you know, killed a family member or something like that, you'd have no qualms about just going up and slapping them or whatever like that. Yeah. But because it's like a fancy restaurant and this guy's like a millionaire and has a fancy job or whatever, he's just insulated from, you know, <laughs> insulated from the effects of his crimes. Like these people should be unsafe. You know? I remember when one of the uh, killers of George Floyd, it wasn't Chauvin, uh, but one of the killers of George Floyd, somebody found him in like a, like a Walmart or something. And they were taking a video of him and harassing them. Yeah. And all these people on social media are like, this is not okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you should make sure that every single moment of this fucking miserable, this miserable ass wipes life yeah. is full of harassment. You should make sure he cannot get another second of peace yeah. because you know, this system is never going to truly hold them to account ever. It's like, um, there was a video of Alex Jones getting harassed at like the little, ch- like the chicken place in Texas or whatever like that. And everyone just kind of realized who he was and just being like, get out of here or whatever. And people go precious about that as well. And it's like, this is the guy that is like goaded, like so many people into stalking like victims of like mass shooting and like, you know, having like dead children and stuff like that. Like, why does he think he should be safe from, you know, this or whatever? Like, anyway, that's a bit of a tangent. But anyway, um, we should, maybe um, maybe we should talk about some more news. Mule, uh, yes. what is, what's going on in Russia at the moment? Well, uh, we are ever so slightly acutely aware of uh, queer phobia around the globe here on Red Planet. Uh, and this is some bad news, unfortunately. This is uh, more and more anti-queer stuff from Russia. Uh, Russian courts this week have banned any LGBT movement, calling it extremist. Uh, so, you know, and, and again, you know, I, I want to just sort of, before I go forward with this, talk about why marginalization sounds so similar all the time you know what i mean like we're seeing in imperial core countries people calling pro-palestinian movements extremist right um and this is just the exact same thing it's uh recuperation it's double speak it's double think uh so here's the story russia's supreme court has ruled that lgbtq activists should be designated as extremists in a move that representatives of gay and transgender people fear will lead to arrests and prosecutions the court ruled on thursday that the international lgbt public movement and its subdivisions were extremist and issued a ban on its activities uh, on the territory of russia the hearing took place behind closed doors and without any defense present. Russian media reported it ahead of the verdict. Reporters were allowed in to hear the decision. Amnesty International called the ruling shameful and absurd, warning in a statement that it might result in a blanket ban on LGBTQ organizations and violate the freedom uh, and violate freedom of association, expression and peaceful assembly and lead to discrimination. Moscow's crackdown against liberal-leaning groups has intensified since Russia's invasion of Ukraine last year, which has seen the LGBTQ community in the country face increasing curtailment uh, of their rights. Uh, one thing that, like, you know, jumps to mind is is um, just like this story about this guy who was like a 37, uh, you know, year old 
guy who like grew up in 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 you know sort of like very rural place in russia um lives in moscow but you know it, it feels more comfortable there but it, it, he's just like unable to be openly queer still so it's like this weird sort of scenario where it's like all right i'm in moscow so maybe i can go on like an anonymous grinder account and maybe not get killed and meet some guys or whatever uh but also like can't openly be gay like you know, at, at, at this time of the this story about this guy, um, you know, there were bills being put forward, uh, basically saying that like, you know, information that denies family values and propaganda of non-traditional sexual relations should be banned. So, you know, everybody knows what that is. So it's just like more and more encroachments on uh, queer people's, uh, you know, freedoms, and that's just been growing as as this story says. The Kremlin has ramped up since its rhetoric about protecting traditional values, again, just like, just like I said, from what it called the West's degrading influence. Uh, now, let me just take a little, um, divergence again here from the, from the, the notes, uh, on this story. But if we're talking about the West's degrading influence, this can directly be, and I'm not saying that Putin thinks this. I know that Putin is just a vile homophobic piece of shit. And I know that people in, in the Kremlin are as well. I'm not saying that this is the case, but the reason why this consent is so easily manufactured is because who's the army that always says that they're fighting for queer rights? Well, that would be the Imperial Corps army. They're always bombing Gaza for, uh, you know, queer rights, you know, uh, opening up a fucking pride flag on the, you know, destroyed home and obvious tomb of like thousands of people, just absolutely vile shit. Um, it's much easier to persuade a populace of majority heterosexual cisgender people that queers are a form of Western imperialism, you know, destroying the family values, uh, et cetera, et cetera, traditional values, um, you know, when those armies make uh, a sort of show about being like, oh, you know, you 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 don't get to like have transgender healthcare in any of these states, uh, but you can definitely join the military you know, fly the trans flag when you're bombing up a bunch of brown people, you know, like that's the, the kind of shit that you just like see them talk about, you know, uh, and it's just fucking vile. Anyway, going back to the story, last November, lawmakers also approved the bill banning all forms of LGBTQ propaganda, a move with far-reaching consequences for a book publishing and film distribution. Um, that is literally what Section 28 was in, in, the, in the UK. Lawmaker Peter Tolstoy said at the time the measure was about erecting a barrier to the penetration of Western anti-family ideology. Yes, because we're also anti-family, aren't we? In the USA and the UK, they definitely let queer people have all the rights in these countries. Since the ruling, Russian security forces have raided numerous gay clubs and bars across Moscow. Police officers searched venues across the Russian capital late on Friday, including a nightclub, a male sauna, and a bar that hosted LGBTQ parties under the pretext of a drug raid, according to local media. Witnesses told journalists that clubgoers' documents were checked and photographed by the security services. They also said that managers had been able to warn patrons before police arrived. Activists have said the broad and vague definition by the top court means that authorities could potentially crack down on any individuals or groups who are deemed to be part of the movement. The ruling could therefore signal an effective ban on all organized activity in favor of LGBTQ rights. So extremely awful, extremely fucked. Uh, solidarity with all the queer people in uh, Russia and any uh, country that is, you know, suffering from 
you know, sort of like imperialist uh, propaganda being shoved down the throats and having that be manufactured in a way to, you know, make queer people's lives awful. But speaking of literally all that, Kira, give us the Palestine update. Yes. Okay. So um, it's been a week. Uh, lots has happened. I will say just, just, um, just right now, there's no possible way, just like this goes for every single week. There's no possible way I can cover everything very quickly, but I will try my best to give you a rundown of, of, of a lot of what's going on, but please know that, um, there's so much more to be said. So, uh, the ceasefire quote unquote has officially ended. So know that the Israel has violated this ceasefire a number of times, um, including terrorizing Palestinians, trying to supply hospitals, um, trying to reach the wounded, um, trying to return to their homes, etc., killing at least three people. But we're still aggregating all of the ceasefire um, violations and trying to figure out exactly how many people were in fact injured. But it should be noted that. And that Israel has not complied with this ceasefire and has done so so many times that I've actually lost count and just was like, okay. Um, so this this is a truce between Israel and Hamas began on uh, November 24th and is renewed twice before it's ending on Friday. Under the truce, pa- fighting was paused and humanitarian aid was allowed to enter Gaza as Hamas released captives in exchange for Israel releasing Palestinian uh, prisoners. Uh, also captives for the record uh, is not a legitimate occupation. <laughs> the, uh, no occupation is legitimate, but Israel's is not legitimate. Their prisons are not legitimate. Um, and uh, women and children being being kept there are being kept there illegitimately for the record. Um, it should also be noted that the humanitarian aid that was supposed to be allowed in, I think it was like 200 trucks a day. Um, and Israel really prevented that with both their their violence, like like from snipers, et cetera. But also through just straight up blocking certain routes. And so there was like a day where only like 20 trucks was able to make uh, come through. And should be said, 200 trucks a day is still not even remotely sufficient for a population um, as large as Gaza's. So nearly 240 captives were taken by Hamas following the attack on October 7th. Of them, 127 captives remain in Gaza. 110 are freed as part of the truce. Um, of the 350 Palestinians imprisoned, uh, the women and children, Israel has permitted to be released. 240 have been released and 110 remain. Uh, however, at the same time, Israel has arrested a, more than the number of Palestinians from the West Bank and East Jerusalem. Um, so it should be noted that Israel is still trying to inflict these like horrific like harms on Palestinian people as a whole. This this collective punishment keeps continuing. Um, There's also video emerging of the Palestinian, uh, excuse me, the Israeli hostages being released by Hamas and Islamic um, Jihad. And these hostages look very happy. They're hugging Hamas. They're high-fiving them. They're cracking jokes. Um, and this and this coupled with, with testimony from some of the hostages that were able to speak to the media before Israel got to them, including uh, one woman who wrote a really lovely letter to Hamas thanking Hamas for treating her daughter so well because she it made her feel her daughter felt like she was the queen of Gaza. 
comparing this to the testimony we're receiving from the children and women being released from um, the Israeli prisons in which they were fed uncooked rice, had to sleep around the floor, maybe with one sheet, maybe not, the huddle up together, weren't allowed showers, um, you know, cracked open, like being beaten and sexually assaulted by by uh, IOF and sometimes beaten with pipes so hard that the pipes, metal pipes bent. And these are children and some just dying on the ground, just awful conditions. So we're seeing a completely asymmetrical uh, treatment of captives from these two entities. But also, I want you all to know that Israel is now, because of that bad press, they're now clamping down on Israeli hostages' testimonies, and they are specifically monitoring what they say and coaching them. And so I would be extremely, extremely skeptical of any, any Israeli reports (laughs) just to be clear you're saying we should be skeptical of israeli propaganda i I am saying that oh wow i also want to say (laughs) that um there's this there's this one woman i forget her name exactly it kills me i forget her name but she's an israeli uh, she was held hostage by hamas she's an israeli and she was seen being very kind to the um the hamas terrorists (laughs) um and when she was being released and Netanyahu wanted to meet with her and she said no, because like all of those blood is on your hands. And so I'm very interested to see um, if we because of the the nature of what the Internet is right. It's not as e- it's not as easy for the state to to censor people. I'm really interested to see if she or other uh, hostages are going to be able to make their stories known to the yeah. public. Yeah, it is interesting. Right. They like totally just clamped down on them. They're like, you know, and um. It is, yeah, over time it's going to be interesting. But even just like these, this footage of them coming out and shaking hands and saying, you know, to people like, thank you, like using Jewish terms of endearment to thank, you know, these people that had, you know, held them, um, held them hostage. It's, you know, it's like, I don't think that you can really come back from that. Like I've seen people try to take like screenshots and then say like, you know, like this is evidence that they were pressured to do this or say this. And it's like, fair enough. You could say like, okay, they might feel compelled to say, you know, to be positive, especially if they have friends or family there, but it's like, man, like these, these, these hostages that are coming out are better actors than the actual actors that Israel has to to create, you know, it's like, okay. I mean, they're, they're, they're a lot better than Gal Gadot, you know, like it's, um, (laughs) it's, like, like they, there is like a sincerity that you see in them, and I wouldn't be surprised if, um, you know, during their their time, and you know, like it, it still was like captivity, you know, but like if they had taken them around and they had been like, this is this is what life is like for us, um, you know, you hear the bombs coming down, you see this is what it's like for us. We just want to, you know, we want to live in peace. Taking them for a tour around the place, like you know, showing them what it's like, and I think living first hand especially seeing some of them like you know there was like the one girl that had um extensive uh, medical treatment i think it was on her leg and that she you know they sent her back with like the full pins and everything in her leg and stuff which is like a stand like you know the best standard of medical care that they could provide not just under bombardment but under years and years of blockade mm-hmm. as well and stuff like that like i it would be hard to imagine like coming out of that and being like oh no these these people just you know like they just want freedom you know like it would be hard to go through all that 
seeing, I mean, there's, you know, there's videos of October 7th of um, Palestinian resistance fighters coming on, you know, groups of festival goers and just being like, just get out of here, you know, like while the, you know, Israeli defense force are firing on them and stuff. It would be so hard to be those people and then be like, wait a minute, these people aren't animals. These people aren't like, you know, what they call them, like these like savage barbarians or whatever like that. Something else is going on here, you know? Mm -hmm. And I feel like once you start pulling that thread, Mm -hmm. um, you know, and it's the same for the way that governments disseminate propaganda about, you know, like over here about Maori, the things that the government has said in the past, uh, things that, you know, the Australian state has said about indigenous people there and stuff. And then it's like people actually kind of start engaging with these communities and go like, oh, wow, like, actually, they're just people like, you know, they're three dimensional people that have comprehensive wants, needs, dreams, you know, and they're rational. Kind of as well. they're, they, like painting, painting Palestinian people as these, like, like you said, uh, um, these bar- barbarians that can, these savages that just, that just grunt in a direction and, and have no rational thought. They just, they just do evil. Um, and actually realizing that the actions of Palestinians are very rational, actually, <laughs> like there, there's reason for these as much as is, if you don't agree with them, um, and this this goes for like the actual actions, not just what Israel claims they that happened because some anonymous person claims they saw from a distance, like whatever. Um, but yeah, no, you're you're absolutely right. It's it's just actually connecting with the the people as as human beings. And um, just just because I know uh, there's a lot still a lot more for me to go through, I'm gonna um, finish up the the discussion of the hostages just with this um it is interesting that the verified the verified of uh, um uh treatment of the israeli hostages that that i i can confidently say is this is probably true um that the israeli media is trying to trying to paint as this like evidence of horrible torture is like they lost weight and they're tired and maybe some of them haven't had the adequate med- medicine and this is just merely a reflection of what it's like living in gaza you're saying that living in Gaza is torture. That's what you're saying. You're saying that if we, if you live in Gaza, you are subjected to horrible, like, uh, like you are subjected to a scarcity of of basic resources that that human beings should be allotted as a human right. Um, and so it's just, I just find that incredible that they're trying to put this on Hamas as like Hamas has inflicted this when they have not. They just have not done this. <laughs> I think um, as well, we should also like, I mean, you all know this, Kira, like this isn't like, you know, anything on, on this particular story, but it's like people are so like ready to be like Hamas, Hamas, Hamas. Um, but again, like, you know, just going back to like the, the origin, well, not even the origin, sorry, like the, the, the most recent thing that everybody talks about, October 7th, like it was a variety of different organizations. It was the Popular Front for the Liberation of Palestine. It was like all these other different Palestinian resistance organizations as well. So of course, they're only talking about hostages that Hamas had, because then it's easier for them to manufacture that consent that like they had these terrible conditions. Oh my God, they don't care about human rights. Yeah, because Hamas right now, is working with the PFLP, it's working with Islamic Jihad, it's working with with a lot of different groups. And so, yeah, no, it's not just Hamas taking them. Hamas has become like a... Sh- it's frustrating because Hamas isn't even taking them. It's Al-Qasim Brigades that is yes, taking them. Yes, <laughs> Al-Qasim Brigades, yes. <laughs> so, like... It's not even the Hamas. It's not the government that runs the the sanitation systems that's taking people hostage. It's the militant wing of Hamas. So, yeah. yeah. 
or like in, in concert with like the PIJ, et cetera. Anyways, um, so I just also want to, we have a lot to go through. So let me try to get through this. Note that the West Bank violence during this entire quote unquote ceasefire has never actually ended. Settlers and IOF soldiers, and I want to make it very clear, settlers is a huge part of the violence that is occurring in the West Bank. The civilians, the innocent civilians in the West Bank are a big, big part of the horrors that are occurring to Palestinians. They are terrorizing and killing Palestinians. Palestinians throughout the West Bank have to guard their homes. At night, they're being terrorized. They're being murdered in their homes. Uh, the IOF throughout during the day, and especially at night, they love doing this shit at night, is raising Palestinian infrastructure using Caterpillar equipment. Um, they're doing this systematically. This is a form of genocide and collective punishment, which is a war crime. And the IOF is committing a massive abduction campaign to offset their quote unquote losses with all the Palestinian prisoners they've had to give back as a result of the uh, Palestinian resistance taking Israelis uh, captive. Also, um, two days ago, the IOF published a map dividing Gaza into 2,300 segments as part of a displacement plan in a new phase of its genocide. Gazans are being asked to provide their block number so that they can be directed to new blocks. Israel is sending leaflets to direct people to new areas. This is occurring in light of the U.S. pressure for a more focused genocide. This comes after the IOF for the first time asked residents in southern Gaza to evacuate last week, areas they deemed prior to be safe. Over 40% of martyrs, a.k.a. Uh, Palestinians that have been killed by Israel, over 40% of martyrs have ascended in South Gaza. Many of these people are displaced from the north. So this is a, it's not even remotely safe. I just want to make it clear. All of this is just um, smoke and all, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just them trying to play. I'm a good guy because I did what I could while I continue to kill Palestinians at the same rate. Just to be clear. And also it's a terrifying, it, like looking at a map of this, this is disgusting. This is disgusting. Like, I don't, if you're not watching right now, it looks, it's the Gaza Strip, but it's, it's chopped up into so many little segments that the segments are now overlapping each other and it's in, indecipherable. And this is, um, and imagine trying to follow these instructions in the middle of a g active genocide with bombs flying everywhere, with, with people trying to dig up children out of the rubble, you're maybe even lost a limb. <laughs> like you're looking for your, for your mom. There's children just wandering because their parents are killed. Like this, this is inhumane. This is disgusting. Um, I should also say that um, they are now targeting journalists. Well, they have been targeting journalists, but they're targeting journalists still, including uh, a lot of people may know this name, Motaz. Um, I know him as uh, Motez on Twitter, or on Instagram, who is an incredibly well-known um, photographer. And he just hours ago was saying that he is now surrounded by tanks. And so now he's being he's trying to flee Gaza. And I saw him at the Rafa border, which is the southern border dividing uh, uh, Gaza and Egypt. But um, he's also trying to continue to report because the, the reason we love him is because he is such a, an incredible like eye into what is occurring in Palestine. So I hope he lives. We all hope he lives. But it also is still an, a tragedy that he that he is now unable to report to us what is occurring because so much, so much of our insight into what's going on in Palestine is through him. Um, so I 
just hope he's okay. Also, Israel is now killed as well. Um, they're also bombing hospitals. They've already killed a top scientist. So this is them target. And Israel always likes to claim how surgical their attacks are and how very specific and controlled they are. So given that, and also given everything we know about Israel, these are targeted attacks, to be clear. President Lula of Brazil, friend of the stream, he said, what is going on in the Gaza Strip? is not a traditional war of those we see on films that we learn and read about. What we see is genocide going on, killing thousands and thousands of children that has nothing to do with that, women that have nothing to do with that, and destroying the things that took years to be built. More leaders should be saying things like this. So thank you, Lula, for speaking the truth. Um, it's, a, it's a damn shame that that so many cowards run this world. Not Lula, though. I'm very, very happy to hear that from Lula. Pro-Palestinian, uh, a pro-Palestine protester self-immolates, set themselves on fire at Atlanta Israeli consulates. Israel's comments? It's tragic to see the hate and incitement toward Israel expressed in such a horrific way. Forever the victim is Israel. Britain announces that it's conducting aerial reconnaissance flights. This is, I think, as of this morning. Aerial reconnaissance flights over Gaza showing new proof of its participation and involvement in the genocide. Their claim <clears throat> is that their aerial presence will not have a combat role and that their aim is to, quote, locate hostages. And I personally find, and as well as the Palestinian resistance finds, that this excuse is disgusting and worse than the offense. This is ridiculous. We think we all know what's going on here. Britain is not an idle a neutral observer, nor can one be a neutral observer to genocide. The U.S. House, sorry, we're going through these rapid fire, but appreciate everyone sticking with me. The U.S. House uh, voted a few days ago on a resolution to affirm Israel's right to exist, uh, as well as condemning Hamas and other very related expected bullshit. Only one congressional member voted nay. Only one. Representative Thomas Massey, a Republican, the squad voted yay across the board with two exceptions. Rashida Tlaib, a Palestinian-American, she voted present. And Cori Bush voted uh, not voting. <laughs> so um, vote blue, y'all. Yemen and Iraq have announced prior to the ceasefire ending that they intend to escalate if Israel continues. And Yemen uh, followed through this morning by attacking several Zionist ships in the Red Sea. I also want to point out that Iraq has said that it's already been bombarding the, the American occupation bases that are still in Iraq, because if you didn't know, America still is occupying Iraq. <laughs> so, which is bullshit. Uh, just a reminder, that's still happening. And Iraqi uh, resistance is very, very, very aggressive in making it clear that this is an American-run Zionist occupation, which we also agree with. Um, but Iraq has said that it, or at least the, the Islamic resistance, has said that if the aggressions in Gaza continue, that it will, in fact, expand its assault on the American on America outside of Iraq, potentially. So we might see things escalate a bit. But Something that I found to be very um, heartwarming is the Yemeni military. Uh, I think it was like a one of the guys, one of the top guys. He tweeted one word from his from his Twitter, and it just said "Zim." 
Now, Zim is a shipping corp. It's the biggest shipping. It's the largest Zionist shipping uh, corporation. And this Zionist shipping corporation, I believe, comes from China and ships things through the Red Sea up. And if you didn't know, Yemen has Yemeni militaries have been taking a lot of Zionist ships hostage, have been just capturing them or destroying them. And so um, now from that one word tweets, Zim is now not going through the Red Sea, but going all the way around Africa, all the way around Africa, which is tremendously longer and takes way, way more time, way more money. So that's a win, but I would also love to see more more countries, you know, be a little upset with these Zionist ships coming through. So that that would be great. Anyways, um, that's your very, very, very fast rundown what's happening in Palestine. There's a lot of stuff I missed out on. Um, but um I hope I hope I hit some of the main points and uh free Palestine. Tim. <laughs> cool. Uh yeah, one more news thing. This is um just uh, recent news for down down here in my neck of the woods. So we recently had an election down here in um, Aotearoa, New Zealand. And unfortunately, we had probably one of the worst possible outcomes. We've got a coalition government with um, three of the shittier mainstream, well, more mainstream parties. So National are the main kind of like centre-right party that have been back and forth with our Labour Party for decades and decades, whatever. Then ACT, which is just like the sellout libertarian party that are like, they're not actually libertarian. They're actually like classic kind of Tea Party libertarian where they really just like, they just want fascism. They just want, um, they want libertarianism for themselves and then, you know, fascism for everyone else. And then New Zealand First, which is kind of like a like a right wing populist kind of party um, led by a guy who is just, you know, like a huge grifter opportunist that's been kind of um, hanging around New Zealand politics for way, way too long. So we're going to coalition. Um, yeah, the National NZ First and ACT Party Coalition, and they've all basically committed to a bunch of policies that will basically undo like 40 to 50 years of affirmative action and civil rights kind of progress for um, for Maori and, and, um, and Pacifica in New Zealand, all in the name of um, creating a more equal society. It's pretty terrible. There's even people that have previously been aligned with all of these parties that have come out and been like, no, this is horrific. Like the actual former MPs from National and NZ First, and actually an ACT as well, who are Māori, who have, you know, previously kind of, um, you know, they've had a seat at the table in the past who are now kind of turning back and being like, okay, well, actually, no, this is this is too far. Um, you know, it's everything from, like, um, removing, like, you know, like um, how in public in a lot of countries that are, like, bilingual or multilingual, they'll have street signs that are in different languages. Over here, a lot of the time, we'll have it in English and Māori at the same time, and they just want to remove, like, they just want it to be English, you know? It's like, which is ridiculous because it's kind of like they're both there, you know? Like, it's, <laughs> yeah. So they've got all this idea about, like, ending race-based policies, and a lot of these policies are literally like affirmative action things to prevent health and education kind of outcomes that are linked to the kind of history of policies that deliberately disenfranchise Maori. Um, even, you know, things that are linked to 
like land disposition and all this kind of stuff. So these policies were implemented initially not to give Maori an advantage, but to kind of like help help Maori catch up. You know, like it's this kind of thing where it's like through colonization, we had like 150, 160 years since we had a hundred yeah, something like that. Um, since um, the treaty was signed and all this kind of stuff like that. And it's only been in sort of like the last 40 or so years that we've a- been able to claw some of that stuff back that was taken. And now it's like we're looking at policies that in a single term could undo all of that, which is just like um, like really pretty scary considering how many of these policies are linked directly to uh, public health. Health and education are the main ones. But um, like some of the more extreme um, elements in these parties are looking at um, literally just like scrapping the the Treaty of Waitangi, which is like the kind of like it's basically considered like the founding document of our country. I think the interesting thing is a lot of these people in these parties believe that the treaty gives Maori special rights that other New Zealanders don't have. When in reality, it's the only thing that gives non-Maori any rights at all in New Zealand because it is, you know, it's an agreement between the Crown and the Indigenous people sort of thing. These are all, like, hard-won rights, you know? Like, all these things, like, all of these initiatives, all of these kind of institutions that they're looking at getting back, and even just, like, the prevalence of Maori language, these were all things that were, like, one over like decades and decades of hard activism and like a lot of work. It's a really frustrating time because we're seeing some of the most disingenuous politicians that we've ever had in our country just um, being so disingenuous with the way that they are framing a lot of this stuff, presenting it under this banner of like, we are creating a new equal you know, New Zealand or whatever like that. It's like, yeah, it's wild. But um, yeah, there was a, a quote here from um, Professor Claire Charters from Auckland University, who is also the Indigenous rights leader for the New Zealand Human Rights Commission. She said, um, you can't just take a simplified approach that by treating people exactly the same, you're going to achieve equality. You're not. This effectively just prioritizes those who have power. New Zealand has one of the least equal education systems in the developed world. Maori children are five times more likely to be in state care and 67% of female prisoners are Maori. International evidence shows self-determination can reverse these outcomes. So it's basically just like, instead of continuing the programs that have started to actually achieve an equal outcome, it's like, you know, like instead of focusing on equal outcomes, it's focusing on the equal kind of treatment of everyone or whatever. And it's kind of like, if you have a very basic understanding of politics, history, all that kind of stuff, that might make sense, you know, be like, oh, everyone gets the same opportunities. But then it's like you, you have to, for that to work, everyone has to have the same opportunities from birth, which is just not the case whatsoever, you know? I mean, like, um, look at, look at, like, not to, not to keep making this my whole personality, but like, look at Gaza. Like, yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. You, yeah. you you completely obliterate all their infrastructure. You 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 orphan their children. You you riddle them with with diseases that they'll have to be fighting. And then you say, hey, you and say an Israeli 
can can now both have the same opportunities because we both put you in the same system. Let's pretend to this, right? Because they don't. But like anyone could see that situation as being an an inequality because it's that inequality. You have to account for like the scenario, the context of which these people live in and like the opportunities they have. If you don't have a home, you do not have an equal standing to a person who does have a home, for instance. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like, but these policies are like really pervasive. A lot of it seems like it's just kind of like the whole political like red versus blue football thing where they're trying to attempt to undo undo the work of the former government. Um, and it's stuff like, so just last year, the former government, um, the Labour-led government introduced um, like changes to school curriculums because there's never been an obligation to teach about a lot of New Zealand history stuff here. So like uh, when I went to school and a lot of my generation went to school, we didn't even really learn about things like, like, I guess like, like the New Zealand wars or anything like that, where it's like, we didn't learn about a lot of the terrible stuff that happened to found like the, the state of New Zealand, you know, Um, obviously like, you know, like, I was already kind of like aware of a lot of the stuff coming from, you know, like a Maori background and all this kind of stuff like that. But in schools, we would learn things about like all kinds of stuff that was happening. You know, we would learn about the American Civil War, but we wouldn't learn about like the history of colonization in New Zealand. So the former Labour government actually added to the the new history curriculum that they had to learn about, you know, like a lot of basic stuff like that. That is literally just like factual New Zealand history. And then they're already taking all of that out and they're saying that removing this stuff is to provide balance, you know? And it's like this wild thing where it's like, so you're arguing that knowing the real history of our country is unbalanced because it's like, it's unfair to to Pakia to learn about the bad things that they're you know, that their families may have done in the past or like, you know, or like the bad things that created the systems that they now benefit from, you know, things like that. So to create balance, it's better that nobody knows, you know. This is similar to like America's fight against critical race theory. Yeah, yeah, no, exactly. It's it's exactly the same kind of culture war thing. And a lot of the politicians like David Seymour um, and Winston Peters are literally using the same framing and everything like that. Um, yeah, and it's really disingenuous as well because so both so Winston Peters, um, who leads NZ First, is Maori. David Seymour has Maori ancestry. Um, and so they use that as like this kind of deflection where they're like, oh, we're not being racist. How could I be racist? I'm Maori or whatever like that. Whereas um, Winston Peters has like a long, long history of being very anti-Maori, very like, you know, like, like everyone says like he's the guy that got the seat at the table and now he's, you know, he's pulling up the ladder behind him. I think he's just very fundamentally very like just deranged like his politics just do not they do not make sense aside from looking at them in a way that is like this is a man that is out for himself another guy the libertarian party leader um david seymour is a dude that grew up his entire life not knowing that he had any maori ancestry then like his uncle found out doing like um you know like a little history dig up or whatever like that and has since then has claimed it only to kind of deflect from his own racism 
So it's like, yeah, okay, cool. Like you do have Maori ancestry, you're in the club or whatever like that. That doesn't mean that um, it's a shield from any criticism or anything like that. And um, recently, the so the the hapu, like the sub-tribe that he claims ancestry from, have actually started making public statements about it, about him being like, dude, like we will straight up exile you. Like, you know, then like basically being like, we like you, you, you use our name all the time, but we don't know you. You've never been up here. You're not like, you know, whatever. Um, and it's like, people act like they, that's like, can't happen, but it totally can. Like um, these tribal relations rely on literally your, your relationship with, the tribe, you know, with um, your connections to them and how you stand in, you know, context of the wider group. Like, um, you know, it's like, these are the people that you are accountable to and all that, all that kind of stuff. So it's like for, for someone to actually be told like, Hey man, like we might just kind of exile you from the tribe. It's a huge deal, but I feel like this is one of those cases where it's like, it's, it would be absolutely justified for them to be like, like their statement is basically, if you, if you continue this work to, um, to delegitimize the treaty of Waitangi, then, you know, then see you later, bro, sort of thing. And I think it's like, it's something that is like such an affront to Maori in general that I feel like it's absolutely justified, you know, <laughs> like, but um, a lot of people saying it's as if like, oh, you can't, you can't erase his, his history, you know, like his family history with us. It's like, that's not what's happening. But, um, but also he is someone that lived functionally his entire life as Pakya found out at a very late age that he is descended from like he has a Maori ancestor or whatever like that and then uses that to gain power and shit on other Maori it's like fuck this guy <laughs> you know like like I have absolutely no sympathy for whatever kind of um whatever kind of disconnection that he gets you saying he didn't know he was Maori until later. Yeah, yeah, no, he has like some like great, 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 great grandma. You know, it's like the the classic. It feels thing like a very like, like Elizabeth Warren type situation. Oh no, it, it 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 absolutely is. Even though she had no relatives, by the way, that were indigenous. Just be clear. <laughs> but like indigeneity, my understanding of indigeneity is it's not something you can like just take a like you can't do a blood draw and be like I am an indigenous person. Indigeneity is like about your relationship, like like it's it's a cultural thing that's the thing right like it's it is um so technically like the you know the definition like under the maori understanding like you could have a single ancestor all that way back there and that does you know that that means you're maori that you know whatever like that but that doesn't mean anything if you're not actually like actively engaging in the culture and all this kind of stuff like that and there are a lot of people out there that are like that and they might say like oh yeah i have maori ancestry but i don't actively engage in the culture or like a lot of people just wouldn't claim it or whatever um he is yeah he's kind of in that camp but he just claims it when it's politically advantageous to do so and i think that um there has been these kind of discussions that have been in the media lately about like, you know, like everyone, if you have Maori ancestry, you should claim it and you should own it and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, yeah, I, be, I think that that's a good thing, but it's kind of that thing where it's like, okay, if you're going to claim it, especially if you're going to claim it because it's politically advantageous to do so, like, what are you giving back? Like, um, and yes, so um, the spokesperson from um, Natu Rehe, who is the, um, the hapu that he is descended from, have said, like, 
you know, like it's not so much about what you claim, but it's about who claims you, you know? So um, I think it is for him, it has been a long time coming. Hopefully there is some way to prevent a lot of this stuff. It's not a single bill that they're doing. It's kind of like they're looking at kind of undoing different departments and different legislation, all this kind of stuff like that. There is opportunity for it to be challenged at different points. I think there would be huge public pushback from not just from Maori, but from younger people in general. Like the statistic was something like 80% of New Zealanders um, uh, in support of things as they are with the treaty or whatever like that. And then there's like, it was like 20% would like, I think it's just basically 20% of people don't understand it and like, you know, like seek further clarification or something like that, which I think is like, funny because it's like a lot of the educational stuff like a lot of the history curriculum stuff that they added was literally to help people understand what the treaty means and the history of it why it was signed who signed it for what purpose all this kind of stuff but that's the kind of stuff that they're wanting to take out um you know like and i think like an illegitimate effort to undermine it um so yeah that's that's what's happening down here. Um, we'll see how it goes. I'll probably pop in with a couple updates into the news every every now and then as it unfolds. But um, that is our news section for this week. Um, so before we get into the main chunk of the show, just like to remind you all that if you like what we're doing here, if you like our um, if you like our show and want to support it, you can jump on over to um, to our Patreon. So that is patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Uh, we've got multiple tiers for different levels of support um, that get you everything from this like access to the Discord to like special little private Patreon only shows. To, well, not shows, but like hangout kind of streams. Um, there's you know, so like we get like little pin badges and stickers and stuff. And we also have a merch store that you can, um, that you can check out as well. Um, we'll do a full promo at the end of the show and explain all the different tiers and stuff. But you can head on over there, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. If you want to take a look in the meantime. Um, yeah. Awesome. So uh, why don't I pass you over to Mule and you can give us a little little intro into what uh, what this episode's going to be about. Okay, thanks Tim, thanks Kira, thanks everyone. Uh, yeah, it's a Mule You're show. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah, okay. I am welcome actually, yes, aren't I? You, you may begin. I'm welcome in your house, aren't I, Kira? Anytime. Because we're friends. Because we're friends. Because we're friends. Friends are welcome in each other's yeah. places. Not because yeah, I'm going to and... steal all your stuff. Nothing to do with that. This show, this episode is by me. It's, uh, it's about housing, uh, building class consciousness is integral to any kind of organizing, establishing power structures and how and why they relate to someone's material conditions is key. And sometimes the most difficult part of building dual power. The housing struggle is a perfect way to highlight this in this host's opinion. It's also really easy to tell someone why a landlord is abusing their power and how systemic that is. Social class boundaries are also smashed as soon as people with more privilege are shown just how similar or worse off those less privileged are in the housing struggle. 
In this episode, I aim to explain to my co-hosts and everyone listening just why a national rent strike or something of that nature could end landlordism in less than a month. Uh, so, yeah, this this is something that I've wanted to like you know speak about for a long time. Uh, just like sort of have like a, a a big big episode on, and I'm sure we'll have more and more episodes on this. Um, you know, what's something that actually, genuinely, uniquely. Uh, you know, is is a massive crisis in most countries. Uh, homelessness, you know, it's it's something that fucks everybody over. Everybody needs to have a house. Uh, it's up there with, you know, uh, 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 workers' rights, healthcare, all that kind of stuff, you know. This is one of the basic material needs that people need. Um, and as I said, you know, the, the main reason as to why I wanted to do an episode on this uh, is because of that. I think it's extremely, like... You know, it's it's like one of the core tenants, uh, sorry, not tenants, tenets in like anti-capitalist thought. You know, Marx did a whole impassioned bunch of pages in Das Kapital about the enclosure of the commons and just how private uh, 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 land is, you know, extremely bad, extremely fucked up, just in an ideological sense. Um, so, yeah, I'm going to go through like a, a bunch of stuff today uh and try and you know encourage my co-hosts to get involved as much as possible by the way i to i totally remember that part of uh das kapital yeah i remember i remember that yeah that was the, yeah. that was the one part um after the part with the talking about the <laughs> after the all money. the maths yeah they about the money. <laughs> and i remember getting to that part where you're talking about and being like wow i'm definitely reading this well, yeah, this is the thing. It's uh, it's something that I actually like went back and had a look at because that first part is so dry. Uh, so anyway, you know, whatever. But here's the thing, you know, we can make this like a lot easier for everybody to understand. Uh, and hopefully we can do that today. Now, uh, Kira and or Tim, what would what would you understand if I said to you the words the tenant class? Don't look at the notes. Don't look at the show notes that we all have access to. I think the tenant class is a group of people that don't own the the place they live and are now forced to have to buy by whatever whatever situation they're in. They are at the they are under the the thumb of the landlord. They have to pay their income. Uh, how do I put this in more like Marxy terms? They sell their labor. And the the money that they acquire from selling their labor, a good portion of it has to go to a person that owns property that they live in. But it's also like beneficiaries and stuff as well who don't necessarily sell their labor. So I would say like basically anyone that doesn't own property, right? Yep. What I was looking for was like descriptors of people, but that's okay. You both have like the general understanding of it. Of course you do. You're my co-hosts on Red Planet. Uh, but I would describe the tenant class as, um, any combination and, uh, you know, basically collection of these types of people. So, uh, private tenants. So people who are renting, uh, privately, they, they rent from either a corporate landlord or a, uh, you know, private landlord. Um, then social tenants who rent from, uh, you know, basically government owned or government regulated bodies, lodgers who live in with a landlord, uh, licensees, 
uh, sort of like people who are in a tenant position, but they don't have a contract. So they might have a license on a website like Spare Room or uh, Home Share or something like that. Um, then after that, we've got squatters. Squatters are basically, you know, they're part of the tenant class. And I'll get a little bit into this later on. And in, and in the same sort of sphere as squatters, homeless people, right? Um, and the reason that I have such a broad... Uh, 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 sort of net there of, of people is because I truly believe that the housing struggle is connected in that regard. Um, you know, a, a landlord is not someone who is ever really at risk of, of going homeless unless something catastrophic happens to them where like the, the, uh, you know, something like a rent strike or a revolution, uh, the, the, the people love Chairman Mao, all this kind of stuff, you know, was that, would that person ever be at risk of like being a homeless person, uh, never be at risk of, you know, suffering from the violence. Basically, I want people to think of it. I saw a really, really good quote. I think it was from Engels. I can't be sure. It's one of these TikTok ones that was coming up. Um, I saw a really good quote, which was like any system that forces people to, you know, break their back, put themselves in life-threatening situations in order to take part in the system should be described as what it is, which is violence, right? That is violence. And if death result results from that, then it is murder. And we should just look at it in terms of that. Yeah, that does sound like, um, I think that's uh, Engel's social murder, where it's like not, uh, like the concept of social murder is um, when it's not directly, like it's not the state directly murdering someone, like a cop or an executioner or something like that, but they have created a system, like the state has a system that um, that effectively funnels people towards a death or anything like that. Yeah, literally that, literally that. If it, it, It's people who are at risk of violence from the system and people who perpetrate that violence, right? So speaking of that, the latter... The landlord class. Now, knowing about the answer that I wanted from the previous question, what comes to both of your minds when I say the landlord class? Well, it's not just people that own property, right? Because, yes. Because if you own property, you're not a landlord per se, but you're mm-hmm. saying that... Wait, are you saying that they are people that just own property and you're in the landlord class? Or have no. You be, no, okay, no, no, so no. it's people that own property, but then like you know are <laughs> they're a landlord <laughs> yeah and so i would say yeah like the idea of like yeah housing is like private property probably has a lot to do with it where it's like it doesn't necessarily have to be an individual because it could be like you know there is like a lot of housing that's owned by the state and all that kind of stuff like that um you know um yeah i would say anyone that controls housing for the purpose of like other people living in it um yeah yeah yeah. and again and again that i you know thinking of it in those same terms anyone who as a result of their relation to the tenant class can impose violence and potentially death on Hmm. the tenant class right yeah like i feel like for me it's like you know like the people that control access to housing yes absolutely so if so if we were to talk about uh people who control the access to housing um you know we could we could be super broad and we could say things like banks mortgage lenders etc do you know what i mean people like that um that's certainly part of it but just to keep things simple let's think about types of landlords um and types of people who are, who are basically in control of like who gets housed and who who doesn't um so people who've inver- inherited a property other than their own and choose to rent it so these are like your tiny baby landlords, right? They've got one rental, one private. They've got their own house. They've got this house. Um, and then you've got people who have 
multiple properties and i would say anyone who has more than two uh, and these are your sort of like bigger landlords um and connected to that what we call the slumlord which is where basically people buy up extremely shit properties uh given the bare basics sometimes even less than that uh charge extortionate rents for them etc then you've got the corporate landlord which is whereby a letting agent or a um you know someone who runs a business where they actually like have staff like multiple members of staff where it becomes like a small to medium sized business then becomes a corporate uh, uh, corporatized and they are then sort of like running set, uh, sorry buying houses letting them out as a business as a large sort of business rather than like you know your standard garden variety landlord and then on top of that, in this country at least, I would say social housing providers. Not sure what it's like in Aotearoa. I think we've spoken about this before. It's fairly similar. You've got like social housing, but it's getting deeply unregulated and therefore that's leaving it open to like privatization and, and uh, you know. Yeah, we're in a bit of a weird spot with it at the moment where um, uh, a couple a couple governments ago, well, like over successive governments have just sold off as much uh, like, you know, like public housing as possible to you know like these small landlords and even to actually like bigger landlord companies and stuff and so the government is trying to like rebuild a lot of housing units now for people to buy to fix the housing crisis but also a percentage of them are for like um social housing and stuff but like the whole project hasn't really worked out and it's kind of like yeah it's a it's a bit of a mess at the moment that is exactly what is going on here Wow, <laughs> these are outcomes that neoliberalism kind of like guarantees, right? Yes, this is the thing. This is this is why the housing struggle is like so, like it's underrated in terms of revolutionary capacity, in my opinion, which is what this sort of like uh, uh, episode is all about. Because if you think about it, like. I don't even really need to have a broad understanding. I don't need to be a housing expert. I guess by all, I don't know. I've, I've been doing this for like two years now, but you know, I wouldn't call myself an expert. You don't need to be like a housing expert, housing solicitor, trained for years and years and years to be able to see the comparisons of what's going on in Aotearoa, uh, the UK, and also the US. Like the US has like not just that kind of stuff going on, but also like absolutely absurd uh, 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 you know, sort of like comparisons via state, right? Because in each state, it's different. Like in Illinois, it's going to be something. In uh, New Hampshire, it's going to be something. In uh, Texas, it's going to be something. Um, and it's it's all so very, very varied. So like, I don't know if there's anything that you could like uh, shed a light on on that, like regarding social housing. I, I, I know like social housing in the States is called like f- uh, section 52 or something. It's like a number or 50 number. Do you know what I'm on about? Yeah, I forget the exact name. Um, give me section section eight. Section eight housing. That's it. Section eight housing. So, um, yeah, and that's like, yeah, it's 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 people who like apply f- through welfare to get housing, right? Like that's the broad bones of it. I don't know the ins and outs of it, but I'm pretty sure it's like they get a d- discounted rate. There's landlords that provide section eight housing, and they they get kickbacks for it, and so on and so forth. That is like basically like you don't have council houses in the way that we have them here in the UK. Like you don't have like people who could just like be housed. I do just want to like verify that like even though I'm talking about, oh, the US doesn't have that. It doesn't work properly here. It doesn't work properly at all. It doesn't fucking house people whatsoever. I also want to point out that I'm not positive about my description of Section 8 housing. So nobody like take what I said as any sort of like textbook (laughs) (laughs) evaluation. Um, But that's just like 
Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know. the, bro- the, bro- the broad strokes are just what's important now to understand the importance of, you know, listen, what I'm saying is, is that if you decided to get involved in the housing struggle in the US, I'm certain that you would come up with the exact same things um, that we have here in the UK. Be a little bit different, being probably a bit more state violence uh, supporting landlords, but yeah. Anyway, I, this this is the next bit that I want to talk about now because this this is something that like everybody all around the world is going to have as a result and you know what's the big uh topic at the moment well it's palestine and you could definitely apply all these things to palestine you could definitely apply all these things to like any marginalized people who are getting like you know uh, uh focused on and and discriminated against you know particularly um and again this is like why the housing struggle is so intersectional like, it's so fucking intersectional everybody needs a house and when it comes down to it we all basically like need the same material conditions when it comes to housing. So any kind of like social class divides that you have, um, you know, as soon as the housing struggle kind of like, you know, um, illuminates what people have and what they don't, people start to realize, oh, actually it's not about foreigners trying to steal my jobs or houses. They don't have an easy time coming over here. They actually like have a shit house just like me. Um, So, you know, and I'll be talking more about that later um so let's talk about violence from landlords this is what this next bit is about um you two are tenants i know this for a fact uh what kind of unsafe living conditions have you a experienced or b are going through right now (laughs) i'll start um one of the very first places i rented just had like the worst damp uh i'm talking like it didn't matter how long the heating was on for. And even though the heating was on, like it was such an old boiler, like it was fucking old as fuck. Uh, you know, it's like yellow from like cigarette smoke and no one had smoked in the house in years anyway. And do you know what I mean? It was just like disgusting and broken and all that. And But my bedroom was so vile. It was like sometimes I would sit on, I had, I had basically at this time in my life, I had two PA speakers that I'd just like acquired from raves or whatever. And I'd put like cushions on them just as like a sort of makeshift couch. And th- those cushions used to be like wet when we would like sit on them. You could, you would hear him go like, <laughs> it was just fucking gross. Uh, so that's me. That That's an unsafe living condition because uh, if people aren't aware, damp can cause mold, mold can cause breathing problems. Um, and just generally speaking, it's, it's, it's depressing. It's depressing. Mold. And, um, broken heater yep and this isn't this isn't like a okay to be clear this isn't a specific like landlord problem but this is a problem across rental properties in seattle is um they're not required to have air conditioning but it gets really hot in seattle summers but just not hot enough for long enough i guess or something um but it, it's a very hot people die every time there's a heat wave and there's heat waves more and more now and they're getting more more and more intense and so yeah like the, i don't think that has been resolved i don't live in seattle anymore but it's absolutely an issue um yeah. so it's an across the board thing and then that's a huge one also like just like i remember there's this one time there was like these like wires that were just like poking through on in like my bathroom and like they're just sparking it was just the just like some really unsafe stuff i'm sure oh there was also a ceiling leak because we lived on the top floor and they had that they had that big bubble that it happens 
Yeah. yeah when it's in, under the paint. Yeah. And so my roommate and I, what we would do is we take a little thing under it because it happened every time the the snow melted. So we would pop it and we put it <laughs> like in, a and we would carry the water and we say it's fresh house water. <laughs> fresh water Sell it on the market. The house. Yeah. House milk. <laughs> awesome. Oh no. <laughs> yeah, it's wild. Um yeah, I mean uh I've had all of those same issues at various places over the years. But um one thing that is notorious in um housing down here is leaky homes and black mold. And it's actually it's been an ongoing thing where it's like so we've had multiple big issues in the country before about um <clears throat> about bad building standards we're a small country and there have been a bunch of times over the years when different developers have worked with the government to just smash out a shitload of housing like they've just been like okay cool you know over the next 10 years we're just going to get this many houses done they're doing it at the moment and it always it always goes terribly because of you know neoliberalism or whatever we're for various cost saving measures or whatever like that, they um they skirt around regulation. They you know whatever, or even like the government will actually change legislation to make it easier for them. And so we end up with like these big issues where it's like for years it was um leaky homes because of inferior you know products. There was um problem with like the cladding on a lot of houses, all this kind of stuff, and it all basically ends up being leaky and moldy houses. Even these days, a lot of the houses that they've been making, even though some of these issues are decades old, where it's been like the number one thing on the news every night or whatever, but it still continues to happen because, um, yeah, a lot of these, a lot of these big developers just have like a ridiculous amount of pull with the government. Um, and because of some of these companies like Fletcher's working on these, like these big pro, uh, projects with the government, these giant like Kiwi build contracts and things like that, the government is kind of like in this position with, with them where they kind of have to appease the developers to kind of maintain, like to commit to actually um, deliver on their commitments for building houses and stuff. So we were just seeing these, um, yeah, these, um, these regulations and stuff getting weakened and stripped back, which end up in like thousands and thousands of like rental properties that don't meet the, like the established criteria for what is like a rentable house or whatever, but everyone just like lives in them because they don't have another, any other choice, you know, like it's a, it's a housing crisis. Like, okay, you don't want to live in this leaky home. You'll go live in the next leaky home, you know, like, um, yeah, yeah. it's like, it's really bad. And it's, yeah, the black mold is a huge issue as well, which is like, you know, like it's, it's terrible for your lungs and everything like that, especially for kids growing up and stuff. Like I know so many people, people that I've lived with in the past and stuff that have had like, you know, like they've thought that they've had asthma or even like they have had asthma and they found out later that they've moved out of these houses and like all of a sudden they can breathe again and things like that. Yeah. And it's not just like black mold on the ceiling in your bathroom or whatever like that. It's like, it's inside the walls and just, yeah, it's terrible. So those are, those are like super common, um, yeah. super common things that the, the renter, the average renter down here has probably dealt with, you know, so numerous times in, uh, yeah, these, and these are all things as well that like I've heard of 
here in the UK. Not the AC thing. Uh, obviously, that's like a unique sort of like, you know, hot country thing. We're not really a hot country. I mean, we're getting to be a hot country, what with uh, climate change and all. Ooh, look forward to that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Oh, Nelly. Um, but let's talk some more about some violence from landlords. So, yeah, like the so the, the most key thing I want to like point out that you mentioned there, Tim, is like people don't have any choice. So, you know, we're talking about these like incredibly unsafe houses to live in where like, you know, to, to the average person, like a bit of mold. Yeah. Okay. I could probably deal with that. Do you know what I mean? Just keep cleaning it down. It's all right. Um, and then it will be fine, you know, but then again, how much time are you going to have to clean this mold? Are you going to be able to reach all the places where it goes, et cetera, et cetera. And people end up having to deal with it and deal with these health problems. And the reason for that is like you say, they don't have a choice because landlords raise the fucking rent all the time. Now, um, this is something that happens like just in general, because landlords are greedy bastards. They want to make as much money, exploit as much money from the working class uh, as, as humanly possible. Well, a tenant class, if we stick with our, uh, on point, uh, you know, sort of uh, discussion here. You, um, in in terms of rent rises, even when they even when they don't happen uh, outside of like a rental period, even when a when a landlord raises the rent to a tenant, let's say, uh, let's do a game, Kira. Right? I, uh, this uh, I'm going to hate this because even pretending for like a minute that I'm a landlord makes me feel sick to my stomach. Uh, but I'm your landlord. Um, I come to you, I've, uh, you've been living in my property for six months and I say to you, uh, okay, as per the tenancy agreement, uh, I'm putting the rent up from 900 pound a month to 1200 pound. All right. This is your month's notice. What do you do? Well, now I have a month to try to maybe move, um, which is very difficult given that oftentimes where I live is tied to, I mean, in my situation, I'm a, I'm a single woman, so it's a little easier for me, but not necessarily for everybody. Um, also, I have family here, so I still have, t- I have ties. You know, I hopefully get to know my neighbors, which I don't really because my neighbors, I live in a cop town. It's not really a great place, but um, get to know my neighbors, you know, like so any ties in my community have to be severed. Um all my familiar, everything I'm familiar with, you know, and I also have to somehow relocate all of my stuff that costs a lot of money. And I have to find a time to search for new apartments. And by the way, this could easily happen to me in the next place I go to. So, um, and, and oftentimes my, the where I work is right next to where I live. So I might even have to consider, who knows? Who knows what I have to consider depending on like my transportation options. I don't have a car, so I'm happy. I'm glad that I live at, at home, but if I weren't, or sorry, work at home, but if I didn't work at home, um, this would be a real problem for trying to figure out logistics for me getting to work or if I need a new job or not. Yeah, this is it. And 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 notice everybody, the first thing the beautiful, sweet Kara did was she said, I would have to leave right? And that is just one of the many tools that landlords have in basically forcing people out of their property. Um, you know, if, if it's illegal to evict someone in a certain scenario, for example, they can do this, right? If it's illegal to do this, uh, then they could keep not doing the repair in the properties like we spoke about. The biggest thing that people have is disrepair. And the biggest thing that makes people want to move out of places is disrepair. 
you know, unsafe living conditions. Um, you know, you spoke about a place uh, where the boi- the boiler was broke. I said the heater was broken. So like, um, you know, if, if uh, I mean, in the UK, people are definitely witnessing it now. It's like this in my fucking apartment, but it's so cold. I can barely heat the fucking place. And, you know, if you are underneath a certain amount of temperature for like a, an extended period of time. So when people talk about like hearing damage, it's not necessarily like, uh, you know, like a very loud noise that's like lasts like a second or something that does like massive damage to your hearing. It's more like prolonged hearing, like like a, a higher than normal. Do you know what I mean? A higher than normal volume for an extended period of time. A lot of tattooists get that from of the um, the sound that our machines make. Um, well, like it depends on what kind of machines that you're using, but um, coil machines operate like the noise that they make is like a very kind of higher frequency thing and just like repeated exposure to that um kind of removes that section of your hearing frequency or whatever so i can imagine yeah if you were around like an environmental noise that was like that you would um yeah you'd be affected in a similar way so in the same way that's kind of how like exposure works right like even if you're not at like drastic threat to human life temperatures let's say if you're just below room temperature right in the uk we have a bit of legislation called the housing health and safe sorry housing health and safety rating system which i've definitely mentioned on the show before but it basically says and this is due to not just like you know lobbying power you know whatever it was not just something random that people found out this is based on science based on doctor's reports based on health reports anything below 21 degrees celsius don't know what that is in fahrenheit work it out yourselves um the the is is going to be damaging to human health over long-term periods that's 69.8 degrees fahrenheit which is basically 70 degrees fahrenheit that's interesting i didn't know that yeah yeah. So there you yeah, go. Yeah, my place was very cold. <laughs> it was way colder than this. You can get you can get like a lot of um, you know, adverse health effects just from like prolonged exposure to something below that uh, you know, temperature. Uh 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 what do they call it? Like a room temperature? Yeah, below room temperature. I was gonna say I was gonna come up with something smart, but it doesn't matter. Anyway, um so yeah, you've got those like uh, uh unsafe living conditions. Um so like, you know, lack of lack of room temperature uh, uh warm basically do you need a warm place to live um if there are things like you say like the um whatchamacallit uh you were talking about this before kira electricity wires fizzing around like electric electric hazards let's call them yeah exposed yeah. wires like any kind of unsafe exposed wiring or like you know not uh, uh, up to standard building, you know, containing, uh, you know, ele- electrics and, and wiring and stuff like that. It's so extremely dangerous. That could be like one, one, you know, mistake and boom, you're dead. You know, an electric shock, it can fucking kill you. So stuff like that. There's all kinds of things like that, like pests. Uh, a big one, I think, in the US is like radon in the in the basement or something. I think maybe that's in because there are, there are a lot of places that have basements. In the US, it's not like a, a very common thing in the UK. Uh, maybe in the in Aotearoa as well. I'm not sure, but like you know, radiation basically. Um, it's not like a big, big thing, but it's definitely like a unique thing that I I'd never heard of in the UK. I was like, oh shit, they do like 
basement apartments and people can get like <laughs> people can get radiation poisoning crazy yeah that's like definitely <laughs> not really not a thing i've heard of down here i mean i wouldn't be surprised if there was someone out there with a radioactive basement flat like but um but no yeah i don't know if that's as much of a problem anyway i yeah i don't i don't have much experience with radon but like you know it's uh uh you know in terms of like uh, uh you know just kind of like expanding like making sure the u.s the U.S. people listening can actually, like, you know, relate to it a little bit. I'm sure they can relate to rent rises and unsafe. Trying to make this stream accessible. I will speak for all Americans. We appreciate it. We're not always included in conversation, so it feels this- good. <laughs> That's right. Uh, so let's talk about one of the biggest, uh, you know, ways that landlords enact violence on people, and that is eviction they love to do it don't they they love to do it we literally just had a landlord in the chat saying if you don't pay rent it's bye-bye time yeah it feels good doesn't it to do that feels good to just you know uh waltz your power uh, all over people who have to pay you in order to fucking have uh uh you know a, a, a shelter over their heads you vile piece of shit fuck um so you know this is the thing like uh getting evicted now I'm going to talk I'm I, I'm going to talk a lot about class in uh in this episode and I think cuz it's really important because there are some people for whom eviction is not too much of a big deal right um I know that I have like family members who would like put me up for a bit right if I was evicted so that's part of my privilege um now that might not even be the case for someone who looks exactly the same as me who has the same privilege as me maybe someone has got like a traumatic family experience so they don't have family that they can go and stay with maybe they don't even have friends that they can stay with um but generally speaking uh when we're talking about like you know class marginalized people in their social class in terms of like i want to like just give you a snapshot of like you know my experience this isn't like you know it's going to vary but i think like overwhelmingly with housing activism in the uk the most vulnerable people we find are migrants people who come here they're going through the asylum system um because they just have zero connections here and i want to just relate that Kira, to what you were saying about a rent rise where if, if your landlord put up the rent you would have to move taking up all your ties you know no friends no community Nothing like that. Now imagine if that's like another fucking country, right? And then a landlord is doing the same again, right? This is why it's all related. You know, when when we talk about activism, we say think global, act local. Thinking global, globally, people are dispossessed all the time. It's forced out of their homes. Their homes are destroyed. Uh, they have nowhere to live. They become homeless. Uh, you know, they they become in debt because of being unable to pay extortionate rents, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Anyway, so eviction is like the most vile thing that people can happen. Uh, I want to draw people's attention to uh, a story that literally happened last night in my home city. Uh, A a homeless man died because he was outside. That's just what happened. Like, it's too cold right now. Homeless guy. There are loads of homeless people in the UK. There's homeless people all over the world. Uh, And uh, look, you know, the, the... this is what happens if you force people out onto the street they will die it's a death sentence i remember saying this to some cops when i was on an eviction resistance with like you know the 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 perfect uh, uh, uh you know picture perfect picture citizen of what a cop should consider a citizen to be a war veteran uh you know who had 
PTSD and problems. Like where they were, they were helping the social landlord evict uh, uh, him, which actually they legally aren't even allowed to do. I said this to them: "You are killing someone. This person doesn't have anywhere to go. That's the end of it." Um, and of course, they don't listen because they don't want to listen because they just shut their eyes to this stuff. Uh, some of them revel in it, actually. So eviction is one of the most vile things ever. Um, you know, depending on your material conditions, depending on your privilege, depending on your relationships, um, can drastically change just how, uh, 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 you know, I guess violent that is for you. Even if you are like privileged in the sense that you have friends that you can go and live with, you have friends that you can go and couch surf with being in a position of homelessness, whether or not you're on the streets or whether or not you are like being put up by a friend puts on you this overwhelming depression where you are basically like, yeah, I'm a burden. I'm a fucking burden right now. I can't like, you know, do anything. Like I need help from the state. I don't have an address, so I can't get it. Um, even if I did have an address, it'd be really fucking hard to get help anyway uh, because the, the government doesn't want to fucking give money out despite what reactionary conservatives say. So, you know, every single like aspect of homelessness is is completely fucked um and the majority of it is because of landlords very 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 few people choose to be homeless on purpose can i say that like it's so annoying when someone when we're talking about homelessness and someone shows up and is like i talked to a homeless person and they said they prefer it this way and then now they insist, they just go around having like the one conversation or sometimes not even a real conversation. Let's just face it. I don't think these people actually talk to homeless people, yeah, but they, no, they hear <laughs> from someone who heard from some from her from someone that one time a homeless guy talked about how he doesn't want to actually have a home. And now every uh, homelessness is actually great. So there it is. They spoke, they spoke to like a, uh, you know, very, very rich upper middle class white college trust fund kid who chose to to leave home to live in the woods <laughs> with like a bunch of money was able to like you know build a house on some stolen indigenous land or something some extended burning man type fucking shit yeah and, and he was like oh yeah i'd much prefer this dude yeah oh i'm i'm technically homeless and i prefer it you know so anyway um is that your american by the way that's my American. That, well, that's that specifically, that's specifically, no, because like my, my general American is like, hello, I'm an American. And like, <laughs> but, and, but that one that I was doing specifically then was like, uh, trustafarian, trust you know, like a trustafarian, like a white guy with dreads that smokes weed. <gasps> anyway, there you go. So eviction is, is vile. It's one of the worst things ever. Uh, physical threats. Uh, your landlord may be a utter bastard. Uh, you know, well, and on top of that, they might also physically threaten to harm you, uh, you know, and there may be uh, other implications there. It may come in the form of sexual harassment. It may come in the form of sexual assault. It may come in the form of actual physical assault. It may come in murder. Um, I want to, again, relate this to current struggles that people are talking about. Uh, Palestinians killed in, uh, you know, Turtle Island uh, uh, in uh the uh, the USA. I can't remember exactly which state it was. I think it might have been Illinois or Indiana. I can't remember. Uh, but li literally, a Palestinian kid and his mom got stabbed by their landlord. Right. And this is something like where you know a landlord is enabled by their position to think that they have some kind of power. Uh, they do have power. That's for sure. But they think that they have like 
you know, some kind of like exception to the rule from the law. Now, why would that be? Why would a landlord think that they have an exception to the rule of law? And generally speaking, this is because across the board, landlords operate outside of the law, right? This is what they do. And, and they are enabled by uh, the le- legislation to, to do this. But anyway, th- th- that's just like a small bit on physical threats. It's uh, quite obvious. Uh, tied into that is discrimination. If you're a woman, uh, you know, a feminized person in any way, if you're queer, if you're transgender, if you're, uh, uh, you know, a, a woman of, of any description, if, if uh, you know, you're, you're going to get like, you know, some kind of discrimination. And if you're a racialized person, of course, there's going to be discrimination there as well, potentially overwhelmingly so, because we know that the landlord class is overwhelmingly white, cis and heterosexual male. So this is also like something to consider. Um. And this is the thing, like, on on top of all that stuff, it's your rights are systemically, sorry, systematically and systemically, I guess, removed via power, right? So landlords who think they're above the law because they are constantly treated as if they are above the law... Um, you know, if some landlords are in government positions, MPs, uh, you know, uh, ministers, uh, you know, if they have like a vast amount of wealth where they're able to like buy really good lawyers to fight their case in court, uh, you know, they're, then they're able to do that. They, they are enabled by the system to bypass the law. Whatever protections tenants have, uh, whether they are like real in legislation uh, or not, the system of capital basically protects them overwhelmingly so right they're going to be able to get around uh, a sexual harassment suit they're going to be able to get around uh, a, a murder a homicide lawsuit you know they're going to be able to like find ways where like maybe they won't serve the right amount of prison time or maybe they'll get off scot-free right so this is it now every single kind of tenant experiences this stuff um homeless people obviously are at the like very brunt of, of this because they've already experienced like the you know the basic well yeah i guess it would be like you know this is like the 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 long slow drawn out death uh sort of like death sentence kind of thing this is what being homeless kind of is for for the majority of people um but like just as like you know homeless people are already like on that end of it um you know middle-class people whether they like it or not whether they see it or not even though they haven't developed this class consciousness possibly they are like a couple of bad interactions with some people from being in that position right so like say they fall out with the parents in a really really bad fucking way uh say they have like no fucking friends because everyone thinks they're a posh toff who's got no fucking clue you know what i mean you never know like this is just something that can happen um so that's violence from landlords now talking about the class stuff this is what i wanted to uh sort of like bridge this into um and i guess like when i say building class consciousness you broadly speaking when people think of class consciousness they think of working class consciousness and that's great you know your relation to capital super important but within that there are loads of different types of class right so there are, there's your social class so i'm a queer guy right and that's my social class like if if i'm openly queer um, you know, unabashedly queer everywhere I go, there are some people who are going to make me, you know, make it known that they're not okay with that, right? Um, and I'm very lucky that I can, like, hide that shit. Uh, Kira, as a social class, as a woman, 
Um, and Tim, like, I, I don't know how much you experience this, like, your, your socialized class as a Maori, would that be right to say? Like, I mean, there's like, there are all kinds of like class things like associated with um, your identity as being like Maori in New Zealand or whatever like that. And it is kind of like interesting, um, you know, like the, the racialized aspect is like a huge thing where it's kind of like, um, even as, you know, like a, like a racialized citizen or whatever like that like witnessing it from other like like landlords that are you know like I've had landlords that are like Asian I've had landlords that are like like Indian I've had landlords that are white all these kind of different races and stuff like that and the way that they will also like like I've had landlords say to me like I had an Asian landlord say to me that I'm glad that she was glad that I came along because she didn't want to let in another Indian tenant and it's just like like shit like that where it's just like this is wild where it's like your your class interests as a landlord immediately like you know kind of like eclipse like any kind of like you know like racialized solidarity or whatever like that so i mean i've like i i've never had a maori landlord but i know people that 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 do and that are just like oh you know like they're just as shit to us as anyone else you know like that it's just like it's wild but I do I do think there are like certain things and stuff like that like um you know like I've had people ask before about like this this kind of like idea that um you know like it's the idea that Maori and Pacifica people because they uh usually have like kind of like tight and large like family groups or whatever like that it's kind of like this like how many people are going to be living here? Is your family going to be coming in here? Are you going to be you going to be drinking in the garage every night? You know, just like shit like that, like these weird things like that, where it's like, man, like, I mean, I'm not even like particularly like my family, I'm particularly tight. Like I drink like one beer every three months or something like that. You know, it's like, did you ask, do you ask everyone else that comes in? I know obviously I've got like heaps of tattoos and all this kind of shit and stuff like that <laughs> as well. But you know, there are like, there are like assumptions. Like I remember the, um, the, the landlord that I had that mentioned not wanting another Indian tenant, she was like talking about like, oh, because you know, like their cooking stinks up the whole plate and just like shit like that, you know, like, so there are these like kind of like assumptions about different, um, you know, like different tenants and race and all that kind of yeah. stuff. I personally would say that like Indian cooking smells amazing. I know. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's so yeah. absurd. But yeah, no, yeah, I appreciate that, Tim. And like, I think like that's a really important insight as well is that like, you know, racialized people will experience this um, social class traitorism. Um, I, you know, as a result of, of, you know, a, a, a landlord, you know, being from the same background, ethnically, culturally as them, uh, you know, and then also witnessing like, or, or like, you know, just sort of like doing this class traitorism against like their own sort of like social class as well. Like it's, it's, it's very sort of like, you know, I don't doubt for a second that there's going to be like, you know, one, uh, uh, um, uh, like a gay, a cis gay white guy out there who's a landlord and like just hates transgender people. Do you know what I mean? And he like rented to a transgender person once and then another queer person comes along and goes, oh, I'm so glad there's not another one of those, uh, you know, well, maybe, maybe they'll say something worse than just transgender person. I'm sure there's white gay landlords that hate gay tenants. <laughs> Yeah, for real, for real. I'm sure there's Pete Buttigieg types that are like, oh, well, those are the the scandalous, like, like sexual gays or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like that, like... You boys going to be running trains in here? Yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, they're, they're, they're always having orgies. You know, they call themselves queers, which is like a, a slur. Do you know what I mean? Uh, they not so... be dropping lube on the carpet. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's if it's silicon lube, that shit is uh, quite hard to yeah. get out. But yeah, no, no, no. Just yeah. <laughs> then, uh, we just got reports that Mule is in fact uh, having sex, sexy, sexy orgies in, in in his apartment all the time. Whoa. It's crazy that that happens, and uh, I have sex all the time every day. I'm having sex right now. Um, And uh, anyway, so, yeah, so, yeah, you know, you're going to experience this, like, uh, uh, you know, uh, class traitorism. um, And also, I think just coming back to this concept of building class consciousness uh, amongst tenants, let's talk about tenant power. Um, Tim, you probably know the answer to this because you did like a whole video on it, not specifically tenant power, but dual power. But if I said to you tenant power, Kara, what would that mean to you? That would mean um, kind of just like the any sort of power that a marginalized group can gain. I would I would consider it be a collective action of organizing and having having class consciousness organizing together and using that power to i don't know if if tenant power necessarily means abolishing landlords but to take steps toward the toward you know at least alleviating a lot of that disparity yep tim any notes i mean i would say that like any way to kind of like leverage power against the landlord class or whatever but i would say yeah like um particularly the power gained through organizing, you know, like it's a thing like when I think of like tenant power, I think of like the kind of um, the collective power of, you know, tenants as a group, as opposed to like the individual um, genius. Yeah. I mean, that kind of speaks. No, yeah. For it. Well, I mean, like if you're, if you're a regular, if you're a regular red planet here, or if you're one of us and you understand how those things I think are linked, but um, yeah. yeah, for sure. So, um, yeah, you're you're both absolutely right, and Kira, you are uh, spot on in your tentative guess that yes, it could absolutely abolish landlordism. Uh, we're going to move on to how that is possible uh, later on. So, um, when we talk about tenant power, it, it, we have to understand. We've spoken about power structures. We've spoken about where landlords are. The landlord class in, is in relation to tenants, um, and so with that power that landlords abuse all the time, we have to be able to collectively challenge it, right? So I always love Tim's graphic in his video on on dual power of like a big, big castle and then another smaller castle sort of like growing and growing and growing and growing and growing alongside it. And that's basically what it is. Um, And ultimately the the tenant castle is, uh, you know, a fucking formidable citadel like kind of like uh baradur from lord of the rings you know it's 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 like huge in comparison to the landlord castle because there are so many of us uh you know in terms of like homeowners uh you know even even people who own homes like are still sort of like paying mortgage to a bank and you could like lose that from from a from a a, you know a, a bad sort of like payment run or whatever um actually this this brings i, I was waiting for the q a for to ask this question but might as well do it now because apple chips the video game uh said earlier can i make the point that most people who have mortgages are in basically the same position as renters except that the system that enforces violence against them is a bureaucratic bank and i was wondering what your thoughts are on that since you're mentioning it right now yeah no no, no. I, i'm happy to to speak on that for sure like uh look 
you know, if you have a mortgage uh, that uh, no one, I don't think anyone in the tenant class is like sat there saying, you're a traitor and you can no longer organize with us and you're not allowed to come to our meetings and look at us and blah, blah, blah. I don't think anybody's saying that. Um, you, what you do have to remember is that you have like significantly more protections than tenants. So I would, and that again is dependent on like, where you live in the world so you know uh i wouldn't like to broadly say people who have mortgages are the same as tenants because like people who have mortgages can be landlords um so you know i i, I don't know I, I would tentatively also having a mortgage is something that you know unless you have like a really really bad mortgage it's meant to be paid off right yeah. which yeah. is rent when rent there is if you're a renter you are perpetually forever a renter yeah. Until you become a person who does you not don't rent. have any you don't have any kind of you know when people talk about like uh you know feeling um like there's no hope there's there's no uh you know support like there's no end to the struggle like you are no longer part of the struggle because you understand that like all right well I'm in debt but one day it'll actually be mine do you know what I, I mean? can tell you that like knowing that I pay rent does something to my brain every single yes, fucking day yes yes it's not it's something i think about literally every day i think about my vulnerability i think about how this i'm not building towards anything yeah like i'm like i i, I think about it. it feels like there's like a stab in my body and every day i'm leaking something mm-hmm. <laughs> like some something some part of me is like being is being expelled every single day because i i do not own the whole my the place i live Sorry for the gross description, but it makes sense in my head. But like, also, the rent that you're fucking paying doesn't even go to the stuff it's supposed to go towards because all the shit that's going wrong in your gaff is still fucked and they won't come around and fix it. You know, it's just so much stuff. In the gaff. In, yeah. in your gaff. In gaff. In gaff. Um, I think there is something interesting there, though, where it's like, yeah, like you were saying, it depends on where you, you're at in the world. In New Zealand at the moment, there's like a bit of a kind of crisis. It's kind of similar to you know, like what America had with the subprime mortgage crisis sort of thing like that, where um, a lot of people signed on to these mortgages. Like there was for years, it was this thing like, oh, the housing market is going so good. The best thing you can do like as a young couple or whatever is like you need to buy a house immediately because all the houses, like the, the price is going up and up and up. So all these people did and a lot of people did make a lot of money out of it. But most of the people making the money were the people that were like, you know, like flipping houses or buying them in bulk, doing this kind of stuff. Whereas like a lot of people that came in on the tail end, like people that bought houses in the last like one or two years or whatever, these are like generally people that are buying them for themselves, you know, like to raise a family in or whatever like that. Um, now they've, now that they're on um, their mortgage, their interest rates are changing, um, you know, because there's usually when you get a mortgage or whatever, you get a period where it's like your interest rate is locked in and they get reevaluated every now and then. So it's like people I know, I saw an old friend of mine that I went through school with and he's like, yeah, me and my you know wife, we finally bought a house. And then as soon as our interest rate gets unfreezed, we're going to be in negative equity. So they're basically just like, okay, now, you know, you owe more to the bank than your house is actually worth and all this kind of stuff. So I think there is going to be a huge thing in the next couple of years where a lot of people are going to realize that even as like homeowners, even as having a mortgage, that they do have more in common. You know, these are people that own a house that they want to live in. 
are going to realize that they have more in common with the renters ranging to landlords because of their way, their relation to like the bank as being their landlord sort of thing like that. And it's obviously they are protected a lot by, you know, there's a lot of legislation, especially in New Zealand, there is a lot of stuff that protects the investment in property versus like any other kind of investment and stuff. So they still have a sweet deal in a lot of other ways, more so than your average renter. But I think that there is going to be a moment there where people realize like, oh, wait, you know, like we, you know, like as, as homeowners of one property, we're not, we're not utilizing our housing stock as like private property to generate profit or anything like that. Like we have more in common with these renters than, you know, than we might have previously thought, which I think would be um will be like a, a good awakening moment for a lot of people. Um like most things, you know, it's it's there isn't like a black or white answer. Like what I would say to like consider people, like if if you have a mortgage and you're struggling, like that's because you're working class. You know, you you you're part of the working class. Like it's not necessarily like the tenant class. So like you're definitely still like uh you know in terms of like uh, uh, where you are in positions of power for real. Yeah, absolutely. Which is why, you know, I, I'm trying to talk about like building class consciousness. Like where are you in relation to this? Right. Where are you in relation to that? Um, and so when it comes to uh, that discussion in particular, yeah, for sure. It's something that, that I think is going to be um, definitely varied, like from, from place to place and, and person to person for sure. Right. So, uh building class consciousness building tenant power um yeah ten tenant power is is all about like uh basically growing a tenants movement growing a tenants union um you know super important um i think the most important thing to remember when starting a tenants union or joining a tenants union is that like you don't want to be giving your time to like um counter revolutionary power structures that are not actually democratically horizontally organized and like maybe operating operating as like a charity or an ngo uh because of course is that a common problem with tenant unions not with tenant unions no but with lots of unions and particular organizations like for example in, in the uk we have shelter which is a homeless charity and lots of people go to work for shelter because they know oh we have a homeless problem and then they go there they do casework they realize how hard and soul draining it is even after like getting paid to do it and then also realizing that actually it's because of the decisions of the people at the top of the charity um who are by the way shelter staff were on strike last uh uh well actually this year just gone um you know because their fucking boss was was raking in like 200 grand a year or something didn't we have them on the show uh yeah yeah we had we had shelter people come on the show yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. to talk about that yeah yeah so uh you know super like fucking important to uh, remember that like you know if you're getting involved like it's not it's not there are very few tenants unions in in the uk uh they're growing and it's very exciting uh but definitely like yeah shelter is like a, a housing struggle based ngo charity uh there are also like uh camden council tenants union which is like uh when we did the episode on yellow unions that's like specifically like a uh, uh council owned council ran tenants union to hold private landlords to account but not social landlords so that's how they kind of get around that because camden council are in charge of the social housing in their area so they don't want to be held to account but oh no we can hold the private landlords to account yeah that's fine that's okay 
Okay, so you're 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 saying avoid um, joining or maybe even inadvertently forming one of these types of unions. Um, what what are some defining characteristics, like specifically, that people can look for that could differentiate those types? You know, a good kind of tenants union from a bad kind of tenants union. Is your organization led and run by tenants? Are there landlords on the board? Are there landlords on the committee? Are there landlords on the um, you know, decision-making uh, sort of like arm of, of HR or something like that. Um, you know, anything where it's not like a Democrat, like you, you ideally you want, and you know, I'm biased because it's my union, um, Great Manchester Tenants Union, we're horizontally organized, democratically organized, every member has a vote, come to the all-member meeting, do a vote, run, pass a motion, whatever you want, it's how it it's how it works uh same with london renters union and same with catu community action tenants union in ireland um so you know i I just think that is like a very important thing to, to remember because the housing struggle is so difficult um that you know as soon as but landlords are not the type of people who like being challenged they're just not as soon as a landlord understands yeah, as soon as a landlord understands that there are tenants union actions going on, they're going to try and join that tenants union. They're going to try and influence the uh, uh, decisions that it makes. We at Great Manchester Tenants Union literally recently had uh, a person who tried to buy like um, someone's house in the union and they already owned two previous council properties uh and they were trying to like get involved with the union and make a bunch of decisions they were trying to get elected to the committee uh and we had to do some fact finding to find out that they actually did own these two properties anyone who owns, who owns more than one property in in as far as we're concerned is not a fucking tenant by a long shot um so you know that's a real thing that can happen um and you don't want that person to be able to like get involved, get elected. You want to be able to like when someone's being elected to the committee and you're at the AGM and they say, any objections, you go, fucking me. This person owns a bunch of gaffes and they're selling them. Uh, they're, they're, they're letting them out, right? So uh, that's something to consider. Anyway, so in terms of like building tenant power, like that's that's even what we were just talking about then that's important for tenant power because you don't want that to be diluted by any kind of landlord uh empathetic views or like you know i mean fuck you might get a tenant who's like slightly empathetic to landlords because they don't understand their class consciousness but being part of the union they're gonna get de they're gonna get radicalized i nearly said de-radicalizing because it is technically more radical to be empathetic to landlords than it is to want housing for all right um but yeah you know building tenant power is like yeah we have to like you know make sure that our structures are not the same as the systems that we are trying to challenge right can't be top down can't be centralized has to be broad uh great Manchester tenants union we have like various different branches all over the all over the 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 uh, uh, uh what would you call it the the boroughs of of Greater Manchester, we've got like 10 different branches. Um, they all operate in slightly different ways. And it's that diversity that means that we are like super fucking strong as a union. Like Harper Hay Tenants Union have like a lot of different things that they're focusing on. Middleton Tenants Union have a lot of different things that they're focusing on. South uh, uh, Tenants Union, like it all is just like very broad, uh, very, very good, but we're all focused on. It actually housing. reminds me of um, what we've talked about before about like um, 
leftist organizing groups in a almost like a paramilitary sense, you know, where it's like you have um, all these different groups like that kind of like are all handling their own business in their local area or whatever like that. And then being like focused there means that like if it was like one organization that set the tone for everyone, it's kind of like, you know, and this is like a very like, you know, like anarchist and communist way of like kind of handling it anyway, where it's like, if you just, if like, if you have all these different little groups, whether it's like unions, you know, trade councils, whatever like that, they're focusing on what is important to them and what's relevant to their community around them. And then it's like, obviously, you know, you know, like you all get together and you discuss all these kind of things and stuff. But if you just have one big overarching thing with, you know, like no levels of kind of like breaking it up to a local level or whatever like that, you know, there can be something that's really really affecting one community or whatever but it's totally getting overridden because maybe in like you know three other groups are like okay but this stuff is really important to us so we as an organization need to you know focus on that so splitting it up like that is like a really effective way of um yeah if you literally think about it as like guerrilla warfare against the state that's exactly it that's exactly it. It's like every every single time the council is coming across, like in Harper Hay, they're getting councillors to come to the estates to look at like uh, fly tipping. And it's like, oh yeah, we're, we're, we're actually part of Greater Manchester Tenants Union. And they're going, okay, GMTU, yeah, we know about them. They got us down to Moss Side to look at all the housing. They got us up to Middleton. They, they're actually dealing with the death of a Waba shark in Rochdale. So they're constantly hearing about us and that's building power. It's building a social profile. So um, when it comes to um, building power, that's super important. And we were very, very privileged this week. Uh, this was not, I didn't include this in my most base thing of the week because this was sort of like a most base thing that like the whole union the committee and a bunch of staff like took part in, but we basically met with Southampton Tenants Union, which is a new tenants union uh, that's come up in, in, in the UK. There's only, I think, under 50 members or maybe 50 members. And I don't even know if all of them are paying members or whatever, but they're super small compared to us. Um, and uh, they were basically like, they were saying, what do we do? How do we get to, to your size? How do we grow? Um, what are your best practices, that kind of stuff. So we exchanged numbers, we exchanged, uh, you know, uh, information and best tactics and stuff like that. And one of the biggest things that every single person from GMTU was talking about because they wanted to know how to build power. They were like, look, we need to grow. We need to build power. We need more leverage. We need more people. Um, how do we do that? The biggest thing that we all said was do not, do not, do not, do not, underestimate social housing tenants, right? Social housing tenants, basically like welfare tenants, they are already, when we talk about agitation, when I was talking about agitation and training people, I always give people like this um, uh, example of like, okay, let's say you speak to a middle-class renter um, who's not that invested. They're kind of like liberal left, moderate left. Uh, they're not that radicalized, but they've got like a bunch of disrepair. It's not bothering them too much, but like, you know, it's making them uncomfortable. They don't really want to move, but they can if they if they want to. That is the hardest person to radicalize. You're not going to get a fucking activist out of that person unless they're already ideologically a communist and they've just joined because they know what a tenant union is, right? A social housing tenant could be a raving fucking conspiracy theorist, right? Just absolutely like no, no, it's all false consciousness, but they know that their fucking house is falling down and it's the problem of the state. They've been banging their head against the brick wall of bureaucracy for fucking years, right? Trying to get shit sorted. They're already agitated. 
you're not going to have to try hard to go, you know what, bro? I know you said some like weird things about like, you know, the, the, the black people in your community, but like, I just want to point out to you. Yeah. You know that they're on the same housing estate as you. Yeah. They're going through the same shit as you, bro. Like they've not got a good life compared to you. What is it? Like you think that like the, the, the world is being racist to you. Look, like, let, 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 let's fucking, like, you know what I mean? Show you some pictures of their house. Actually, they're members of our union. Oh, shit, yeah, you can meet them at the next meetup. Oh, right, okay. And they come there, they exchange ideas. This has happened multiple times in our union. One of our strongest... That rules. That rules so hard. I can't even handle it right now. Right, because the thing is, is that when, when people, like, you get, like, some really cringe people on the internet who think that you can debate away fascism, right? You could debate away reactionary ideas. There is nothing more of a waste of time. When you, when you engage someone, like, let's say there was, like, a queerphobic or a transphobic person in the union, and, like, I wanted to reach out to that person with their housing problems as sort of, like, a queer person, so that I could say to them, do you know what, bro? Like, you might not like it, but I'm queer, but we're the same. We're, the, we're in the same class. Uh, we've got the same issues. And our material conditions are like, you know, it, it, it's just like, there's no, there's hardly any difference. The, I'm not your enemy in it. I'm not your enemy. I'm here standing in solidarity with you. It's like queers for Palestine, right? It's like, it's like Jewish voice for peace. It's showing that solidarity of being like, we're reaching out, even though you think that we're the bad guys. Actually, no, we support you in it. Do you know what I mean? It's that kind of thing. And of course, like, you know, I'm not saying that like, you know, a, 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 a trans, a trans member of a union should go and speak to a transphobic person. Like it's, it's, I would do that because I'm cisgender. I'm a man. Do you know what I mean? And, I, and I'm white, right? I'm white. So I have that privilege. I have that protection. But anyway, the in terms of like social housing tenants, you're going to build that power with people like that. And if you have like a focus on middle class, private, white tenants, you're doing something wrong. You're doing mm-hmm. something fucking wrong. You got to You got to go reach out to people who are like really struggling um and that's super important so anyway we've spoken a little bit about tenant power building tenant power class consciousness once you have tenant power once you've got a big union once you've got maybe like even if even if it's in your neighborhood 10 members of like your your little whatsapp group yeah that's a little bit of tenant power yeah you can resist you can resist the violence we spoke about the violence yeah so let's talk about some things uh kira's first thing when she, when when the the uh, hypothetical landlord uh, rises the uh, raises the rent, um, uh, you know she was going, oh, I'm gonna leave in in this like you know pretend scenario that we're doing, um, and what if what if now I don't know if this is the case in Illinois, but definitely if you if you were in the UK if you were here experiencing doing your best bruv accent, uh, you know in the UK with us, and you came to Great Manchester Tenants Union, I would say to you. Um, here's the thing. You don't have to pay it. What? I don't have to pay it. What do you mean? Well, there are various parts of legislation that mean that they have to go through, uh, certain legal loopholes in order to do that. They can't just like say, I'm raising your rent. What has your landlord raised your rent via text message? No, they haven't. They haven't done that. You can say, okay, cool. And then just like not pay them. And then they'll be like, where's my money? And it's like, oh, I thought you were like raising the rent. You've not done that. And they're like, what do you mean? like, no, you've not done it. You need to do it. And don't tell them what to do because what they should do is they should fill out 
um, a section 13 rent raise thing, right? If it's not in your tenancy agreement that they can raise the rent at periods, then they have to fill out a section 13 rent raise notice, right? And this is a thing that would protect someone from having to pay extortionate rent or move house. Now, how does tenant power help in that regard? Well, landlords don't like the law, right? Even though the law protects them, they don't enjoy it. They don't enjoy engaging with it. They don't enjoy paying tens of thousands of pounds for solicitors to go to court, knowing that they'll probably lose, yeah? So if you were to like negotiate with a tenants union, uh, with your landlord, you could get members from the, from the union to come and sit in a room. You know that picture, that meme that they've got where it's like, uh, you know, how to talk to your boss and like the, the crossed out one is it just you and your boss. And then the one with the tick is like, everyone else with you and just the boss on his own. Like, it's like that. It's, it's, it's exactly like that. Um, you know, you basically like meet up and you say, no, 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 you can't do this. The, we, we will make your life a living fucking hell, not explicitly threat because you could get yourself in trouble, but like, you know, look, we'll do a social media campaign. We'll act as a union. We'll come and sit in on your letting agent. Do you know what I mean? We'll do all this stuff uh to you know basically stop you from doing this we'll do everything that we can within our power um and that's it yeah don't give away your card straight away because of course they'll be like i'm gonna report you to the police and then you've got all that kind of shit to deal with you want to sit down with them as like landlords they live in businessman elon musk world so you got to like sit down with them and be like, look, it's in your best interest. It's you, you need to, you need to incentivize, sorry, you need to be thinking of the profits. If you raise the rent, our member is going to leave. Then you've got a void period. Landlords hate void periods where there's no one in their property and they're not collecting rent. Now you could have the void period or you could keep this tenant in still paying rent for another year, sign another year's lease with her, right? This is like a way that you could do this. Um, social media campaigns. So let's say for example, your landlord is, uh, uh or letting agent, that's acting on behalf of the landlord has got high public profile. Let's say in the UK, they're like reads reigns. They got signs everywhere. Um, you know, use tenant power to build a social media platform, raise the social media profile of the, uh, the tenant union, do a massive campaign, basically talking about all the things like, a company like Reed's Reigns is going to have shit on the website saying like, we aim to deliver the best in, uh, for tenants to clean houses and all that. And if you've got stuff that directly contradicts that, you've got them. That's social leverage, you know, and then you can get people from fucking all over the world. This has happened like literally like FD Signifier, friend of the show, Feek, was literally retweeting um, a, a tenants union uh, thing about like, uh, a woman in, in, in uh, Oldham who's a member of the union who had, like, no gas for a week. Like, you can, like, internationalize this shit if you get on social media. So the, the power that you have in that regard um, is incredible. Uh, you could do things like phone banking, where basically, like, you get a bunch of people together, phone the office, uh, like, you know, literally organize people to ring right okay tim you're gonna ring from 10 a.m till 5 p.m uh Kira, you're gonna ring from 5 p.m till uh you know 7 p.m mule you're gonna ring from 7 p.m till 10 p.m don't let them get off the phone always be talking about it like just completely ruin the day uh you know don't let them be able to do the work where they are like literally like making people's lives hell because then what's gonna happen while they're like stuck on the phones all day more and more tenants are going to come into the office and say, why aren't you answering the phones? And then it's a fucking nightmare, right? So stuff like that. Um, now, 
the stuff that I've spoken about just like now is like, you know, collective protest, uh, you know, some like direct action-y stuff. Um, on top of that, uh, you know, you could basically like, uh, 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 you know, start a campaign. So what you were talking about, Kira, the Seattle air conditioning thing, if you built up a tenants union and there was no like direct uh, way to sort of like get a win for tenants in your area that need AC, like you got elderly people in the union, you got, you got uh, young disabled people in the union, you know, um, start a campaign, right? Depending on how much power you've got, depending on how much time and energy and capacity people in the union have, start a campaign, start it on social media, a little bit of graphics. You got someone in your, in your union like Tim, elect him as comms officer. He's doing all the communications. He's doing the social media. He's doing the graphics, right? Um, you know, and, and, and shit like that. You have to be creative and sort of like think of, right, who's going to be the best here? Uh, in Aotearoa, you could have like a campaign about black mold, you know what I mean? And how that like affects people. Um, you know, that's something that we're doing in, in, in Greater Manchester Tenants Union at the moment. Um, eviction resistances, I've spoken about those, uh, uh, you know, on the show before. This is like something that you're going to have to like look at yourself in, in whatever country you live in, um, because it's going to be super hard in the US because the cops just turn up, they have guns, that's no fun. Um, in the UK, it's a bit different because bailiffs, this is literally a thing that happened when I was on an eviction resistance a couple of weeks ago. A bailiff waved at a police van and they just drove on by. And it was really fucking funny seeing him realize actually where he sits. It's like, finally, the cavalry have arrived. And then yeah. it's like, <laughs> <laughs> it was fucking great. And I was there saying to him, look, you know, look, bro, these, these, who do you think these people serve? Like, it's not you. Do you know what I mean? Like, here's the thing, like, we're not going anywhere until you do. And that's the end of it. So on top of that, you got all these different things, eviction resistances, it's going to be varied in, in wherever you live. So, you know, don't take my word in it. Don't just do it, you know, sort of have a look as, and, and the next thing I'm going to talk about is the law. You got to look at the law, use the law as a tool, right? So like I was saying before, if someone has a rent rise, well, if the law's on your side, you can like use that in your demands letter, right? That you like have a fucking, uh, let's say that you got the, the Tim who's done the comms. Tim's like whacked up like a cool ass, like, uh, I don't know, Colorado Tenants Union or something like that. And you put that on like the head of a Google Doc at the bottom. You got the little logo. You got like the website, all that shit. Boom, it looks official. Yeah, that's all you need. Uh, whip up little demand letter, three pages, no bigger than that. Um, quote the law, right? So when you're talking about all the things that have been done wrong in the property, you've not adhered to this section of legislation. This is basically to try and put the shits up the landlord, essentially. Do you know what I mean? You want to be like, basically either scaring them uh, through fear of like the people who are above them, in the ruling class to sort of like, you know, if they're like, like a small landlord, corporate landlords, it's much harder, but like, you know, slumlords and, and other people are like, you know, going to respond to this a bit better. Um, so, you know, quote the law like that, but always remember, always remember the law is not in the favor of tenants. It simply isn't. I, I, I don't even know one country where this is the case. Maybe Cuba, maybe Vietnam. I don't know. Um, where like housing is a human right and stuff like that. But honestly, like the, the law is not there to protect you. Um, so you could have collective protests, direct actions, eviction resistances, social media. Um, and then on top of that, uh, thinking about like collective 
actions, you could do a collective wrench strike. Wrench strikes are very, very, very effective. If you do a little tiny bit of maths, I hate maths, right? But if you are in a house of seven people and each of those seven people are paying 700 pound a month, seven times seven is 47, 49, 42. I don't know. What is it? 49. 49, right, it's 49. So it's 4,900 pounds per month that that landlord is bringing in, right? So think about how much money, like what are they do? You know, does your landlord rent Lamborghinis on the weekend, tuxedos, go to high class restaurants, spend a lot of money? It's such a cute idea of what rich people do. <laughs> no, 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 but this is a thing. This is like a thing. Like, like, the, like the... Are they wearing tuxedos and, and driving Lamborghinis? No, and... but you know what I mean? These are all expensive things that like, no, you know. No, no, they are. It's just very cute. Anyways, go on. I'm just trying to make it easy for people to understand. Uh, yeah, so... you know, I get it. You know what I mean? Are they doing things that like, you know, cost them a lot of money? Do they have a massive house where they're probably paying like a massive mortgage on it and they're using your rent to pay, to pay the mortgage? Well, if you did a rent strike for a couple of days, you better believe that landlord's going to uh, cave to your demands because, uh, listen, if they're not providing the things that are listed in the tenancy agreement, you might have a case if it ever does go to court uh, in actually like proving that you did not need to pay the rent. Like, let's say, for example, you have a bit of legislation. You're lucky enough to be in the UK. You got the housing health, health and safety rating system. That stuff about being too cold. I'm not going to say it's definitely going to work in a court of law, and I would never rely upon that. But I would say the courts would probably say, yeah, you weren't fulfilling your duties as a landlord. And that's a fact. Um, now, again, this is just sort of like, you know, uh, 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 speaking from a, a position of like, we've not done any rent strikes with the Great Manchester Tenants Union. Yeah. So we actually don't know what the legal stuff would be around that yet. We don't quite have the power to do that. And we have like 300 to 400 members, um, you know, and, and more other like non paying members who like do stuff with us so like we're quite like a big union uh so i wouldn't like say yeah definitely do a rent strike tomorrow it's a great idea just sort of think about the ramifications have a look at the law make sure you're doing it and you're protected if, if you do do that um but there is some other stuff so i mentioned squatters before as part of the tenant class um you could basically use squatting as homeless shelters so we had in the uk the autonomous winter shelter um and then if you get you know collective purchase of squats to form housing co-ops housing co-ops basically effectively destroy landlords um it's where like you know a bunch of people uh pay the mortgage themselves essentially uh and then you know, they will basically like, you know, vote to bring someone else in if there's room in the property to have like more tenants, like, oh, okay, yeah, let's bring this person in. Um, and then on top of that, if you have like a, a collective of different housing co-ops, uh, that's kind of how we like seize private property away from the, the, the ruling class, essentially. Um, I wanted to like bring up the example of the ZAD here today because the ZAD uh, the, the, the Zona de Fonda, uh, the one that we're doing the documentary about, uh, is basically like the rural version of this where they basically squatted a bunch of land and now it's just like, yeah, it's ours. Like, we live here. This is the end of it. Do you know what I mean? It's like, that's it. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's sort of like something to think about in terms of uh, rural organizing. Excuse me. Uh, how landlords serve capital and vice versa. I uh, don't think I need to get this bit. I know that we're getting on for time. I don't think I need to like 
stress that too much because this is just sort of like very uh you know basic stuff landlords and corporate and lower push their luck via market value and legislation i've already talked about that um you know government corruption and landlords so like you know a lot of mps might be landlords they can use their power as mps to like vote for stuff that would be in their best interest despite what their constituents want um and uh you know basically just like unchecked landlordism will like in the same way that like unchecked capitalism will result in revolution you know so will unchecked landlordism like you know the the prc and the ussr were basically you know all about land ownership um you know there were like so many peasant farmers who just like did not own the land and these like basically feudal lords were like controlling the various like areas and stuff and a lot of those feudal lords like kind of like lower sort of landlords that were like i don't know i don't know how you would call it but they were called kulaks in the in the ussr and they were like basically like uh, uh make it really fucking difficult uh, uh and that was like i think the response i think that's like how the holodomor happened or whatever yeah it's like uh, it's like a whole thing like kulaks a lot of kulaks so they were like the people that refused to like kind of like relinquish their kind of um you know like their control over their land and farms and all this kind of stuff like that but yeah it's like there was like this kind of like this middle manager kind of tyrant level where it's like they weren't like well you know and it, it is like it was like feudalism you know this idea where it's like there's like the king or queen or whatever like that and then underneath that there's like these different tiers of like there's like a dude that rules over a bunch of areas or whatever and then there's like these little kind of what is essentially like barons and things like that but um and it was still like the titles had changed and like you know the exchange like the currency and stuff like that had changed but it was like essentially these same social positions still you know where it's like most people were just kind of peasants like you know kind of paying um paying barons for the the right to work their land and you know all this kind of shit like that so it was like yeah it was a pretty pretty dark situation but still very very similar to the landlord dynamic like it basically was the same thing you know yes so uh yeah just bringing the whole thing uh to a close as i promised at the start of the uh, uh segment um yeah a national rent strike could end landlordism easily within a month now what am i talking about national rent strike uh, most people agree what is it co-hosts if there's like a general strike it would only need to be how much of a percentage of the workers it would need to be like uh, i think it's like 50 percent of workers or maybe even less i don't know like it doesn't need to be like massive um for like a potential like revolutionary general strike um i think like tim and kira are both frantically I, i'm trying to figure it out but i just <laughs> my head i don't know but i'm Here's the thing. To it out. Yeah, it seems like it's like it is a like a, a general term, you know, like it doesn't I don't think it requi- it requires a set percentage or anything like that. But you yeah. can see how there's like, you know, there's like I'm just looking at it now and there's general strikes that were literally like, you know, like a million people or something like that, which is just like I mean, when you think about like the effect that a million people could have on like infrastructure and all that kind of stuff, that's like that's heaps, you know. Massive. Um so yeah, yeah. So I mean, like, I don't think it has to be like as huge right. as like. It doesn't have to be everybody. Yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Everybody. Yeah. So like, in in that same regard, like, it wouldn't need to be every renter who could achieve massive change. But let's say in the UK, for example, London Renters Union. 
I don't know how many members they got. I think they might have something like 5,000 members or something. They're an extremely uh, amazing, powerful organization. That they're, they're really fucking good. Uh, but let's say, you know, they grow to be even more uh, powerful. Let's say GMTU grows to be even more powerful. Let's say that we get a tenants union in Birmingham. Let's say we get one in Cardiff. Let's say we get one in, uh, 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 you know, Katu gets, uh, gets bigger. Let's say we get them uh, in Newcastle, like all over the UK. And all of a sudden, we've got the numbers to like withhold more than i don't know the numbers the numbers escape me but like you know millions of pounds in rent right if we all did a rent strike and we do a national collective rent strike until they change the law in order to make people uh in order to make housing a, a, a you know a human right right so in terms of like ending landlordism Maybe not, maybe not particularly ending landlordism. If we had more people than that, I'm sure that we could end landlordism because they would go broke within like two fucking minutes. Do you know what I mean? And then all of a sudden people would go, hang on a minute. We could just like never pay rent. Like if we don't pay rent like now and like they can't arrest all of us, maybe we just like don't ever pay rent again and we just stay in our houses and everyone has a house. You know, it's about changing people's minds, broadening people's perceptions. If everybody did a rent strike, if there was a nationwide rent strike, it would make people start to understand that class consciousness would then start to burn away. The tinders would be lit uh, in people's minds about like, where am I in this struggle? Is that me? Should I take part in this? You know, and then all of a sudden they do. And you can see this with like various different movements, uh, you know, all, all over the world. Palestine's a huge one. Do you know what I mean? P- people all over the world are saying like, should I get involved in this struggle? Actually, I should, because like the amount of power that the protests and the demonstrations have had have made people realize, oh, actually, this is what it's about. This is what's going on. Um, and this is how, you know, we, we, we really change public consciousness. So I've waffled and waffled and waffled and waffled and waffled, but there have been a bunch of rent strikes that were extremely uh, uh, um, uh, powerful. Glasgow, back in the day in like 1920 or something like that. The Leeds rent strike in 1914, a bit closer to home for me. Kirkby, which is like, uh, I think that's Yorkshire. Uh, The Highland Land League, I think that was like a bunch of people who wanted to like get together and retake the Highlands as, as common ground in Scotland. Back in the day, the Barcelona mass rent strike in 1931, the Gothenburg rent strikes in the 1930s, Northern Ireland, uh, University College London, and then there were contemporary rent strikes that have been extremely effective. We spoke to someone who was doing a contemporary rent strike at the University of Manchester. We have an episode about that. Please go check that out. That was very good. Yep. Uh, And also University College London again. Uh, And at the moment, This is amazing news, if people haven't heard about this already. Nearly 500 tenants from five apartment buildings in Toronto are on rent strike. They have been for some time. This is like things that are happening now. Multiple buildings like this in New York City, Brooklyn, uh, 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 and various other places in Queens. There was an apartment building in Queens, I think, where like the tenants all got together to do a rent strike. And then eventually, like the landlord said, this is too much trouble than it is. I'm just going to sell you the building and then everybody in the, in the, in the property, like now owns their apartment outright. Um, you know, and this is how effective these are small scale rent strikes, small scale rent strikes that are having tangible effects on their landlords. Right. So, 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 so important. Um, so please organize, 
if you don't have a tenants union in your area like the ones that I've described, get together have with the, the people in your apartment. Just print out a little QR code. Do you, are you a renter in this building? Uh, scan this QR code and join the WhatsApp group chat. Plaster that all over the walls. Uh, get some people in a WhatsApp group. Start to have meetings. Talk about it. You know, get a bit of food together. Make a party about it. Emma Goldman and all that. If I can't dance, it's not my revolution. Make it sexy. Don't make it like, you know, boring or whatever. Uh, and that's that. We should probably get to questions. Because Mule I've been talking about to... orgies again. Can't stop. I know, all right. Sexy parties. Like, sexy, sexy Mule and his sexy orgies. I don't fraternize with those that I organize. Um, so, you know, that's... Uh, good policy. Yeah, it's a good policy, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but orgies are good. And as I said, I am having one right now. Um <laughs> So, uh, th- this is weird because, like, I have access to the questions, so I'll just read them and answer them. I don't, I don't know. I don't sure. know. I can pretend that you don't. No, Mule, I'm going to ask you the question, actually. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So, the first question is, it's like a, it's like a twofer question because it's two chatters. B-Rat asks, any specific advice if there's no current tenants union around and the landlords are generally the smaller kind, like renting out to only one or two properties at most. And Jenny also wants to know what to do if your community is right wing and you're, say, queer. I thought those two went together because, you know, yeah. Similar, similar thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like I just said, B-Rat, like, uh, you know, you, you want to be speaking to your neighbors. You want to be like, with with organizing from the very, very start, you got to get like a bit creative. You got to figure out like, how can I get to know my neighbors in a way that is like, well, in part to like Jenny's part of the question uh, is safe for me. And, and, you know, in a way that doesn't like betray my position to my landlord or our landlord or whatever. Um, so you gotta, you gotta figure out what's the best way. Do you have a community center where you all meet? Is there like a pub or a tavern, uh, or like a shisha place or like, uh, you know, something where like everybody goes a coffee shop in the neighborhood where like everybody knows each other, maybe get that little flyer. Is your landlord being a piece of shit? Put that WhatsApp QR code on there. Join the WhatsApp group chat. Talk to us. Let's have a meeting. As soon as you get, like, I wouldn't even wait too long. As soon as you get five people, organize a meeting. Do the first meeting, right? Because then you can talk about the meeting, then you can advertise the meetings as a regular thing. When we're going to meet, everyone, okay, once a month. Where we're going to meet, we're going to meet here. Okay, brilliant. That's that's our meeting. Then it's established, right? Then you got to start thinking about a constitution, but that's another step. So, yeah. In terms of, like, if your community is right-wing and you're queer, it's like I said before you can only organize with those that you feel safe with, right? If you want to try and extend that solidarity, um, yeah, now, nah, like, you, you, you gotta, like, this is why I will always, always, always push the more privileged to do this work because, like, you have to use your, like, you know, you have to use your privilege to help those that are not privileged get out of these situations. Um, You know, if I can, like, go to landlords and or or like other people in in the in the area that are tenants and like say yeah you know what this this is what's happening and this is what's going on and like you know this person shouldn't be treating like this like you know i should be doing that like i people with privilege if you're cisgender stand up for your transgender friends if you're white stand up for your racialized friends etc so if you're a man stand up for your women friends you know it's just this is what you've got to do um you know it, it frustrates me to no end that like cis white men 
uh, you know, are constantly wanting to be the hero, uh, but they will never do a thing like this, you know? Uh, so that's that, really. So, yeah, what's the next one? Does anyone want to read, read me the next one? I'm not yeah, reading it cool. on purpose. Make598 has asked, um, would it always be easy to tell if there are landlords involved in a union? Would they need to declare that? This is This is like the constitution stage of having a union, right? If your union has a constitution, read it. Um, if there are no uh, uh, sections that describe, uh, you know, sort of like where the power is sort of sent, like not centralized, but like say if you have a committee, most most unions are run by a committee. Um, ideally, you don't want anyone like on that committee to be a landlord. They should have to declare that at that point. You could join the union in solidarity if you are like, uh, you know, if you own a property, for example. But if you rent that property out, you know, it should be stated in, in your constitution that like, as soon as anyone gets wind of that, you're out, right? You're not a fucking, you're not a fucking tenant. You're not part of the tenant class. You have no place organizing with us. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a conflict of interest. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, 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 it, okay. It's easy to tell in the same way that it's easy to tell if cops are in your movement. So by proxy, not that easy. But if you are clued up, if you know what's going on, if you start to hear people sort of saying like, eh, maybe we should change this stuff in the constitution about like uh, landlords not being allowed on the committee, that's probably a fucking landlord. What point would a tenant have in, you know, wanting to pass that motion kind of thing? Do you know what I mean? Basically use your analysis use your real-time analysis rely on your comrades as well uh your comrades it's up to it you know this is what a union is about it's about comrades it should never just be on you to you know uh, uh figure out exactly what's going on all the time in your union i say this to my uh, mso team all the time i say look it's not about me i'm not your manager in it do you know what i mean i'm just like your committee representative i'm helping you get trained but that's because i know what's going on it's up to you to like ask us questions and we're not going to be like, you keep asking me this question. You kicked out. Comrades is like, we're all constantly learning together. There is no hierarchy. Um, You know, that's what it's about, right? That's what it's about. So short answer. No, there's no easy way to tell. Um, If you have your suspicions, you might be able to like use the land registry. For example, in the UK, we have a thing called the land registry where you pay like three quid to find out who owns a property. And then if someone owns a property, that's one thing. Uh, do they own another property? Well, you'll have to find out, you know, do they do they rent that out, et cetera, et cetera. So, yeah. Okay, cool. All right. So what's the next one? Alex all over the place asks, uh, Christian, what would be some good resources for how people can find out the tenant rights in their locality? For instance, my city has rules about how much time you need before a rent increase, but the county and state doesn't. I wouldn't have known this unless I had directly researched each locality's laws. This is like sounds very US specific, right? Um, yeah, that sounds like US. Maybe, um, maybe Kira might also have some insight on this. I don't know. Yeah. Uh- I have no idea. I'm s- don't know. Yeah. I know I am the resident American. I should probably be <laughs> a better representative, but I do not know. 
But this is it. So, you know, Conrad's in the chat as well. He's saying you literally have to check your government at every level. Look, this this is, again, like, I, I um, will always point out the fact that there are various tenants unions in the U.S. Like, they do exist. Like, uh, I know for a fact that there's one in Kansas City. I know for a fact that there are multiple in New York City. I know that there are loads in LA. I know that there are loads in in uh, uh, San Francisco. I say loads, like I'm, there's going to be one or two. Um, but like you know, y- you you're going to have to like find out where these are, and you can find them on places like Twitter. Twitter is a great place to do it. If you just search like tenants or tenants union or tenants association, you'll find like a fucking load, a fucking load. Uh, of different like uh, tenants unions, tenants associations. So make sure you check your local area to see if there are any there. Otherwise, it's going to be on you. And uh, this is one of the difficult parts of forming a union, which is why you got to like get a bunch of comrades first so you can all sit down, uh, you know, have a nice takeaway or like have a nice like, uh, I don't know, what do Americans have instead of like a stew, like make like a stew or a curry for everybody, uh, you know, and, and sit down and do some legal research and find out. Americans make a turducken. Yeah, yeah, turducken, innit? Pot, have a <laughs> potluck. Yeah, there you go. Uh, Amy C3, yeah, Amy C3, if, you, if you're if you on uh, Twitch, Amy C3 is amazing, like, uh, we've had her on the show. We also had her, her yep. on as our guest early in Red Planet's uh, lore. We did, we did. Um, so she's got some incredibly good uh, housing resources. Uh, if you're in the UK, um, yeah, join Great Master Tenants Union, join London Renters Union. If you're outside of those, like, catchment areas, um, there is, like lots of very easy to access legislation in the uk you can literally just google it shelter has a lot of resources citizens advice bureau um if there are any like organizations like that in the us they're probably good for that stuff too like uh you know uh like citizens advice is like an ngo that basically just like knows people's legal rights regarding like a lot of stuff that would be my answer for that sorry it's not perfect nothing is so true Okay, so um, we got we got one more, um, for also from Meg598. Uh, question for you. Could you talk a bit about mitigating the risk to tenants when they resist violence from their landlords? I've seen many of my friends be scared to argue with their landlords for fear of, of being evicted or worse, not being able to find anywhere new to rent from, uh, to rent from if a potential future landlord was to find out that they resisted e.g. via a social media campaign or a bad reference. Are there any ways that tenants unions can protect from this kind of retaliation? Thanks. Yes, uh, that's a fantastic question, Meg, and I really appreciate it because this is one of the most important things that I talk to uh, when I'm training people uh, to do member solidarity. It's something I've had to learn. It's something that I've had to, like, uh, you know, really sort of sit back and go, uh, okay, about, like, uh, you... you it's called safeguarding, right? It's called safeguarding. And it's safeguarding not in like, you know, some people might do safeguarding as part of a, uh, you know, you're, you maybe you work with disabled people, maybe you're like a healthcare professional, something like this. We do safeguarding in like, from a tenant point of view. So, um, you know, if, if someone is at risk of being evicted, 
uh, we make sure that they know that risk. When we get people to do actions, yeah, we're not like forcing them to do it as well. I think that's also key. Um, uh, number one, because that's bad practice. Number two, because uh, you could put them in harm's way as a result of like, you know, bad uh, safeguarding, uh, you know, assessments, but also because that doesn't actually empower anybody, right? So we don't take like a, a, a member's case, as it were. We don't even call it a case. We call it a dispute. Um, if we don't take a case away from a member and like work on it without their knowledge, we keep them informed at every single point, at every single step of the way. Um, and we basically get them to lead on it. It's like, okay, here's what we would do. Here's the resources we can offer you as a union. Uh, here's what we know works. We've done this before and it's worked really well. We would advise that you do this, but ultimately it's up to you. How much compensation you want to ask for, that's up to you. Do you want to wait until you're in a safe place before you do this? That's up to you. We get a lot of people who say they would feel more comfortable to wait until they're in a safe place to do their dispute. Do you know what I mean? And and that is like a lot of the time what happens. Um, you know, we, we've had like situations in the past where, like I said, uh, I've said earlier, like landlords have been sexually harassing to, to women tenants um i've had like i've had tenants literally been beaten up by landlords um we have to like say we have to say to, to people like that 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 is that is like the only time when we say to people we can't get involved with any of this we can't do any collective action because it could result in you getting hurt more right and you have to like we don't have community justice right yet we don't have community justice. We haven't got rid of cops, all this kind of stuff. So, you know, it, sometimes it's bigger than what you're doing as a tenants union. And sometimes like the, 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 the gain in power for the union and the help that you could provide that, that member, um, might be like completely overshadowed by the fact that they may get like hurt or killed or harassed or something like that. Then you've got that on your fucking conscience for life. Uh, you know, despite the fact that you shouldn't just shouldn't do it at all. Um, you know, it's, it's going to fuck with you. You, 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 then, then your fucking position as an activist is like, you know, rightfully called into question and, you know, you got, you got to step back. You got to, you got to get out of it, you know? So yeah, absolutely. Like, uh, you, you can't like, um, in terms of like, uh, um, the bad reference one is a really annoying one. I do just want to point out on that. Um, in the UK, there's absolutely no legislation requiring a, a a reference from a landlord. By the way, they they can't ask for that by law. Um, they can ask for it, but you can refuse to give it to them. Um, obviously, this does put you in a bit of a position. Uh, but there's literally, um, I would never say you do this because this is against the law and illegal. And I would never tell anyone to break the law. It's a bad thing to do. The law is the arbiter of all morality, and you might get done for fraud. Uh, but there's literally nothing stopping like a, a random person from writing a reference. Your mum could do it. Your mum could be like, "Yes, this person was my tenant for 18 years, and they were very well behaved. Never did anything wrong. There was that one time when I found porn in his uh, cabinet, but that was, you know." Boys will be boys. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it was, all, it was all legal, none of the weird stuff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, that's uh, that's that. Mm. Um, but, yeah, yeah, thank you so much uh, for all the questions. Really appreciate it, you know? Well, I think 
this was extremely informative. I'm like really pumped. Yeah. Like I can feel your passion for this. Like it feels very like I, I'm like inspired, very inspired by this. Mm. So thank you, Mule, for, 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 for guiding us through all that knowledge and making it really fun and really interactive. And I think you did a really, really great job. I'm going to speak for everyone. I'm speaking for everyone right now. I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think and, um, from seeing what people are saying in the chat, it seems like we've had a couple people in there that um, could really relate to some of the situations that um, you've you've mentioned. So, um, yeah, hopefully that helps them out. Um, Thanks so yeah. much, peeps. So that is... Um, that's that's the bulk of the show for this week. Um, do we have any homework though? That's... Yeah, yeah. I would say I would say that everyone's homework for this uh, show should be to go out and find out what their rights are as tenants. Yeah. Like, even if even if it means like digging through a bunch of stuff, like looking at legislation and this, that, and the other, and you know, trying to trying to find out what legal speak people are using to obfuscate the law and shit like that. Um, give it a go. Give it a go. If you already know that, then uh, my homework will be uh, the same as like the last time we had tenant stuff on here, which would be like, yeah, either start or join a tenants union. <laughs> yeah, cool. Right. And even like a tenants union will absolutely be able to help you uh, to find that information as well. Mm-hmm. Um which I think would be great, yeah, especially if you live in one of these areas, like uh, that question that we got um, about finding out about what is the law in your locality and how, um, like Conrad mentioned, that you kind of have to check in at every level in America. You know, it's like, what's the state, what's the county, what's the locality, all that kind of stuff, um, which can, well, I mean, it sounds like a pretty daunting task. But um, yeah, a tenants union would absolutely be able to help out with that. So um, yeah, thanks for all of that, Mule, all of the good, good info there. My pleasure. Um, so if you enjoyed the stream, if you think you've learned something from it, uh, then it would be great if you could jump over to patreon.com slash red underscore planet. And um, if you, yeah, if you think that, Anything that we've talked about has helped you out or, and you can afford to. Uh, you can sign up there for our Patreon. We've got a bunch of different tiers to support the show. That all goes into funding everything from like paying our producer to we're going to start soon with um, an editor. We're going to put it together like Mule's been editing together a bunch of footage that um, that him and Sophie took over in France. We're going to make like the first Red Planet proper documentary and stuff. So um, yeah, all the, the Patreon is kind of what supports all of that and helps us put together the show and also work on the show outside of the time that we're actually doing the doing the stream. So um, head on over there if you want to help support. We've got a bunch of different tiers. Um, I'll start with the first one. First one is Sprite Mode. So that's uh, $3.50 in New Zealand dollars per month or $2 American. And I'm guessing about two pounds. Is that yeah, right? Yeah, you got yeah, it. About, um, and so, yeah, get started with your support for Red Planet by becoming a Sprite. The benefits include the sacred and forbidden knowledge that you are helping the Red Planet team, uh, early access to VODs, and access to the Red Planet Discord. So we've got a Discord set up uh, that 
this tier sprite mode will get you will get you into the discord where you can hang out chat and all this kind of stuff being at high uh subscribing at higher tiers will get you further access to other stuff in the discord which i think um you know if someone else can uh explain that if they want to someone want to tell us a little bit about the next tier up goblin mode i'll do it uh next tier up is in fact goblin mode for uh ten dollars a month or eight pound 50 i think yes yes and uh or something uh tim i don't know some amount uh it is 17 dollars 50 17 dollars 50 in new zealand everyone loves a goblin we all get a little goblin mode from time to time complete your gobology by going goblin mode with everything from sprite mode a cool pack of Red Planet stickers for you to stick in legal places and only in places like that. And access to the exclusive Red Planet Discord hangouts, uh, which are little hangouts we do where we are hanging out <laughs> hanging out in the Discord. We like watch something like a show or uh, a movie, and then we uh, the hosts have discussions. And it's very, very fun. But what if I want to go even harder than that, Mule? What, what could I do? Well, as you know, I'm always having orgies, so I love it when people go harder. It's beast mode! That's right, it's £17 a month if you're in the UK. Kara, what's that in dollars? $20? $20. $20, yeah. what's that in... It's $34.50 in uh, $34.50 New Zealand dollars. Holy shit, you actually going to go beast mode? Well, then we can offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers and pin badges. Yeah, pin badges. Wear your excellent new Red Planet pin badge literally everywhere. It's completely cool and good to do. But listen, Tim, you know, there's just like, you know, we spoke a lot about like social class uh earlier today and there's a type of social class that i want to talk about and you know they need they need a lot of help from us and they're called uh they're called they're called what are they called tim what are they sickos (laughs) (laughs) tell us about sickos (laughs) The, the real the sickest of the sick um like you know, would, like all of us red planet hosts. Would you call them perverts? <laughs> yeah, perverts, deviants, degenerates, um, all of the above. Um the kind of people that hang out at Mule's house. <laughs> yeah. Um, so sicko mode is uh one hundred dollars American a month, one hundred and seventy two New Zealand dollars a month. Um I'm gonna say like what, like is it like 90 pounds? Oh, you're close. You're so close. 85 it's 85. Yeah. yeah. 85 pounds um, a month, uh, which if you if you support us this much, we can only really reasonably offer you all the stuff from the lower tiers, plus a very special thank you message at the end of every stream, which sounds like this. Thank you to our sickos, JBP, Narilyn Starfire, Queen Pib, Cassie Tastrophe and Risk Inverse. Uh, there are sickos, the sickest of the sick. They keep they keep the lights on at uh, Red Planet HQ. Um, and yeah, uh, sickos basically, um, you know, like they do they they pay for the bulk of all of our stuff for Red Planet. So even just like 
a single sicko makes like so much of a difference to like, oh yeah, you know, like the amount of stuff we get. So, um, huge thanks to all of them. Like, thanks to everyone that supports us via Patreon. But like, you know, like really huge shout out to to the sickos. Um, yeah, and uh, so that's that's the end of our Patreon. Well, oh, and we actually, we, um, also, we have merch available. Um, so some of you have seen, oh, here we go. We got the picture already. The, um, that's our first t-shirt there. We're going to have more in the future, but yeah, you can check out our merch at, um, Mercenary Creative. It's the, the web store run by Conrad, our show producer. Um, yeah, uh, there's a bunch of other stuff there as well. But that's where all our t-shirts and stickers and everything come from as well. So check out Mercenary Creative um, if you want to grab a cool shirt and support uh, Red Planet. So, um, but if you if that's not quite enough and you need more from all of the individual Red Planet hosts in general, um, where where can more where can more Kira fans find a little bit more a little bit more Kira content? The great question. Thanks, Tim. Um, they can find more Kira content everywhere under Kira Chat. So um my Twitch, twitch.tv slash Kira Chats, my blue skies um Kira Chats dot BSKY dot social. Yeah. Um my Discord is Discord.gg slash Kira Chats. Find me anywhere. I stream five days a week, so I'll be streaming tomorrow. Um and yeah. Um, I need to, I, I still haven't been able to like iron out the kinks in my pitch. I've been doing this for years now and I always figure it out newly every single time. I don't know about the rest of you, but Mule, let's hear how good your pitch is. Where can I find you? Oh, well, Kira, I've definitely got kinks in my pitch. <laughs> uh, you can find me at linktr.ee forward slash DJ M-U-E-L. That's right. It's all on there. Um, you could get me on Twitch. You could get me on TikTok. You could get me on Blue Sky. You could get me on Twitter. All those places. I'm on YouTube. Uh, yeah, I've, I've done a couple of streams last month, but, uh, yeah, like, uh, I've got to, like, I've got to do this, uh, Zad documentary. So I'm taking another couple of weeks off to do that um and then after that i'll be back on twitch uh and then in the new year you can expect a new video from me on my youtube channel you can also check out all my other older youtube videos which are all very good they're perfect there's nothing wrong with any of them uh and if you tell me what you think is wrong with them you'll get banned and delete from my channel because that's who i am and how i operate um and uh, on top of all that, you can go to my Patreon and get some exclusive content uh, that's also quite good. It's not as good as the other stuff, but it's pretty good and it's all right. And you can get extra stuff if you want more of that. What about Tim? Well, for the real the real Tim heads out there, um, you can find me on Twitter and Blue Sky as Dread Conquest. Um, not that I spend a lot of time on Blue Sky, Um I should, maybe, I don't know. Um, and over on Twitch and YouTube as Conquest of Dread. Um, yeah, haven't haven't been streaming too much outside of the Red Planet streams, but um, maybe we'll get into it a little bit more over the holidays. I've got like a, a list of games that I have that I would love to um, love to play on stream. Um, but and for our our fourth host who is currently currently not with us, um, Sophie from Mars, you can find 
all kinds of amazing so from Mars con related content on YouTube, Twitter, Twitch, Blue Sky, and most importantly, Patreon um, by looking up uh, Sophie from Mars. Or, or you could just go to linktra.ee slash Sophie from Mars. All of her stuff is there. Super easy to find. And we will see you again next week. All right. Cool. Bye. Bye. That's what I do in my orgies. Thanks for listening to this episode of Red Planet. If you enjoyed the show, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts and tell all your comrades about it. You can find where to watch us live every Sunday at redplanetshow.com. Follow the show on Twitter and TikTok at red underscore planet underscore TV. And there's even more at our Patreon, patreon.com slash red underscore planet. Our music is by Jasper Byrne. Red Planet is produced by Conrad Zimmerman in association with Mercenary Creative. See you next week.